the pain. We're back. We're ready. We're ready to bang. It's the state of combat on CBS Sports with Brian Campbell. Mixed martial arts edition. Fired the heck up for another show that you better believe is underwritten, supported, and fueled by that one and only performance enhancing audio. Everybody's on steroids. Yeah, and so are we on this show, and we're fired up, guys. UFC 235 may not have delivered, let's say, up to the level of we thought on paper with the names and the star power, but plenty to talk about. Some wild endings, lots of runoff, lots of spinoff, a lot of fluids laying around, a lot, lot to get into here on this show. You better believe it. We have a loaded episode. Not only going to recap 235, hit you with the latest news, get you fired up for this weekend's heavyweight tilt in Kansas. When UFC Fight Night brings us two heavies, JDS, the former champ, against Derek Lewis. We also have a lot of sound to share with you folks. You like one championship? You like ex-UFC people that are a little bit bitter and want to tell you about their new home? Oh, you're going to get fired up for this. We got Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson, Sage Northcutt talking about the then and now, why they made the leap, why they are ready for big things on one. We also have ex-UFC champions, Misha Tate. Rich Franklin hitting you from the business side of one, their vice president's going to tell you how this promotion can compete in the American MMA landscape with the likes of UFC Bellator, now PFL on ESPN. Wow, we got a lot to get into and more. Reminder, you like the show, you like what you hear, see something, say something. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you consume fine audio. I don't care where you listen to it, right? I just want you to listen to it, and I want you to tell people that you're listening to it. Leave a review, give us a give us a shout out. Hey, you want to you want to ask questions to the show? Slide into my DMs. They're open, folks. They are open at B Campbell's CBS. Get your question, comment, concern, or insult read on the air. You don't like my co-hosts? Come and tell us about it. Speaking of those co-hosts, it is time to face the pain. Yeah. Wow. Boom. 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 Yeah. I just want to like growl and get a neck tat when I hear this. You just bark. Yeah. Face the pain. Get a neck tat. Yeah. So why? Brandon Wise and our producer extraordinaire betting expert of the MMA, Mike Mormile. Fellas, we're back. We're in this. We're ready. We're fired up. Got a little two three five on the lip. You guys feeling it? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling like Cody Garbrandt might need to go get another tattoo to make himself feel better again. Wow. But. You ready to throw him in the wash pool? What's happening here? We're going to get into a lot of that. Wow. Wow. Were you not entertained, Mikey? This was a weird I, card. I love I love the card. I uh I enjoyed it, you know. We're going to get to that pretty soon, so Save all my stuff for that. All right. Uh, if we have any audio problems, guys, it's my fault. It snowed about six feet here in Connecticut, it feels like. My power lines are sagging. I got saggy power lines. All right, guys. It is what it is. Hopefully this Wi-Fi holds up. Hey, it must be nice in South Florida. You know, we're going to complain again, be wise, about 90% temperatures in February. Well, two things. One, it was, it's supposed to be 88 here today later. So just so, just to let you feel that a little bit. Right. But I almost didn't make it here today because I had to catch a flight out of D.C., Back to Fort Lauderdale, and the forecast all Sunday said snow, 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 and I guess it just missed us, and it was just rainy and just gross all day, and all that snow and rain headed up to you and just dumped on 
the Connecticut, so I'm nice sorry. Nice dump on the Northeast. <laughs> Mikey Mormile, ex-Northeast resident here. You li- are you like all like when you moved to Florida? Is it just in your blood, and you're now you're now a Floridian for life? So when I moved down here, I didn't have enough room in my car to bring any of my winter clothes, no winter jackets, nothing. So I just left it and abandoned it. I'm not going back ever again. (laughs) Just left it. Just left some storage locker. Just left it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. All right. Someone, someone in New Britain's really happy. Yes, hard hitting New Britain indeed. Uh, Wiseman, we got to talk two, three, five here. All right, let's take it. There's a lot. Look, a lot happened on this undercard. I thought the undercard really delivered. It got a little crazy on the main card. Some good, some bad, some certainly ugly. We're going to start, of course, at the top light heavyweight championship. John Jones, quick turnaround from December 29th. Uh, I don't want to spend too long on this because it's an ongoing debate. Before we get into the fight, the victory over Anthony Smith. He popped again, brothers. He pulsed. What did Nate, Nick Diaz, Nate say? Everybody's on steroids. Well, John's on only pictograms of steroids. This won't go away, guys. We thought we were having a quiet fight week. We were like, wow, this is a weird John Jones fight week. There's nothing to talk about. Nothing's happening. Oh, he pulsed, brother. Um, I don't feel good about this. I know it's going to be the same analysis every single time, but USADA doesn't know what's going on. UFC doesn't know what's going on. NSAC, don't give a jack. And suddenly it's just like, yeah, sure, he can microdose, he can pulse, whatever, guys. It's not performance enhancing. It's just like a, it's just a couple drops. It's like a couple crumbs, you know, like, you okay with this wise? You just okay? Like, cause I'm not, I'm not okay with it. I'm sorry. Well, what are you not okay with? Because my point was more, all week and for the last few months has been, I don't really care. Like, let them do what they need to do. But this seems like it's, again, just more residue and residual effects from when he popped two years ago But now? is that even physically possible? Don't forget, <laughs> USADA two years ago said that's not possible. Who'd they ban? They were Frank Mir, right? They're like, you know, it's not possible for residual effects. And now suddenly John Jones has the only, uh I don't know, what do you call it? Only uh bodies, only system where you can just juice and then the juice just lingers it's just drops of it hanging around guys that was the that was when i used to juice that's not the new juice that's not i don't juice there's no juice there's juice guys okay i'm sorry there's something going on here like i always said from the beginning until we know what's going on we, we can just keep letting them fight every month no figure it out hey scientists figure it out but the weird thing is that john jones keeps saying there's another fighter who's going through the same thing with usada where it's the the gram of salt in a, a living size, Olympic size swimming pool, but nobody wants to name the fighter. Exactly. Hey, Usada, you want to save your name? Show me the fighter. Show me his test results. Look, it, it always goes back to this. Usada, horrific rep, rep in boxing. Floyd Mayweather was thought to be able to pay or do what he wants, manipulate the test dates. Coming in, everybody's like, oh, Usada's a joke. Then suddenly UFC signs Usada to clean them up and everybody's like, oh, Usada's this reputable company. Show me the proof. Show me the proof, Usada. I'm sorry. That is what it is. It's the John Jones PED debate. We'll revisit when he pops the post-fight test. We'll revisit it three months from now when he comes back. The fight, Anthony Smith, in some ways a ho-hum five-round decision because Smith, he was the Lionheart. He was tough. He was unable to be finished by a John Jones, who I thought looked great, who looked like the damn pound-for-pound king, who looked like the damn greatest fighter of all time. You cannot say anything bad about what John Jones put out there. He was creative. He was dangerous. He was consistent. He was dominant. He was destructive. He should have been disqualified, Wise. Speak it. Wow, really? You're on that side, huh? I wasn't even on that tip when it happened. Do you know what tip I was on when he hit that knee to the side of Anthony Smith's face? It was this. 
oh, please don't tell me they're going to DQ him because Anthony Smith should never be light heavyweight champion. He's not even in this fight. Why are we going to give him another payday and, and a chance to win the belt? And this ruins John Jones's. And then something happened on the way from that to Jones's post-fight interview to Rogan not even asking him about the knee to Jones putting over Smith effusively like he's such a great guy. Blah, 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 blah. You know what he did? He did something that many other people were disqualified for, including your boy, Greg Hardy. So just because I didn't want to see this mayhem play out, I'm like, wait, why did, wh- who cares what I think? It's illegal to strike a man when he's down. John Jones, who's, who already has one disqualification loss, already is filling up our timeline with pictograms. You know what? What's fair is fair. The rules aren't right. In boxing, you know what they would do? They would go to the scorecards on an accidental foul. If it's after the fourth round, if it's before the fourth round, it's a no contest. If it's after the fourth, you go to the scorecard. So UFC should re-examine this rule because just giving somebody a victory after a foul sets up a weird area where, like, easily Anthony Smith could have been like, sorry, guys, he cheated. I'm going to take a free pass here. But, you know, after I examine all the points-wise, Jones uh, is his own worst enemy. He tried an illegal strike earlier in the fight and was lucky that Smith blocked it. It was a kick while Smith was seated. Right? Hit him in the arm. And he went back to the well. What's fair is fair. He should have been DQ'd. I don't want to see it, but he should have been DQ'd. So when I'm watching it live, I'm not noticing the hand on the ground. I thought he was just in a crouched position against the cage. Because remember, I thought the other part of the rule was if your knee is on the ground, that's when you're considered down. But if if you're on your feet, but you're still like struggling to get back up, I thought it was legal. So in the moment, I'm like, wait, what is Herb Dean doing? I thought that was clean. But then they're showing you the hand on the ground and how that makes that makes you considered a downed opponent. So at that point, I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. But it's also the old rules, right? It's the old rule set. It wasn't the new unified rules okay, or however you, they call it. You just referenced the key there. I'm going to interrupt you for 10 seconds. You just yep. referenced the key. The fact that we don't know right now. The fact that every state, it's different. Hey, UFC and the uh, Association of Boxing Commissions get together and draw up unified rules. Not ones that are, oh, in California, they do it this way. Nevada, they do it this way. Stop the madness. Your announcers aren't sure. Your referees and your fighters don't seem to always be sure. I don't actually know why, but it looked illegal to me. So, again, I didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was just a, a knee. Like, I... It wasn't as blatant as the Greg Hardy one to me. That's where I was kind of like, this is a little bit sketchy. It's that gray area. So in the moment, I was like, that's kind of weird. And then I saw Herb Dean took two points, not just one, but he took two points from him. I, I was that. like, that, I mean, I had never seen that. So to me, that was kind of just like, that's a weird take on that because I'm watching it without sound on. And then post fight, I'm hearing all the stuff like you're saying about how John Jones is. Like, oh, I'm so happy that Anthony Smith didn't take the win. He could have easily just quit and just been like, I'm the new champion. And Dana White did the same thing. And it's kind of like, why are you guys – like, did you guys pay him extra to not take the DQ win? Like, what happened there? Like, okay, so I have to offset what I'm saying. Yes, I'm saying John Jones should have been disqualified. But I'm also saying I'm glad it didn't happen because – that's a cheesy way to win a title. It ruins history. We have to see another Jones-Smith match, which Jones is going to win again. So it would have been a waste of our time. So in some ways, I'll say this. Hey, Anthony Smith, shout out to you for not taking the cheap and easy way out, number one. You were not in that fight anymore. You stopped 
Literally, to be honest, he stopped trying midway through round two because John was lighting him up. And if Smith was going to try and let his hands go, guys, he was going to get finished. He knows this. He can say in the po- – he was really tough in that post-fight press conference talking about Jones didn't impress him, talking about I don't know what happened. I know what happened, Anthony. The guy was lighting you up because he's the best fighter of all time. If you would have let your hands go, you would have been knocked out. That's what happens. You were tough, but you also survived. So shout out to him for not ending it that way. Shout out to Herb Dean for taking away an unprecedented two points rather than ending it that way. Because, look, the the real problem here is not Jones. The real problem here is the rules. I'm serious. It's the fact that we don't actually always know about the grounded fighter rule, and it's the fact that you can win a championship hunter. I'm not saying we have to go WWE rules where you can't lose the title on a countout or DQ, but tell me if I'm wrong here, Wise. Shouldn't it? Go, shouldn't there be a, a median like in boxing? The, one of the rare times I'm going to say boxing gets it right. Shouldn't you at least go to the scorecards at that point if one guy can't continue, rather than just straight up no, you lose your title? Like, come on, really? I think that's a good idea. I also think that a guy like John Jones should not lose. I don't know if it's not lose his belt, but maybe he vacates it. Like Anthony Smith, if Anthony Smith took the DQ there, Anthony Smith is not the champion. Like we all know that, right? Like that should just be a vacated title at that point. It shouldn't just go to Anthony Smith. It should be a no contest and then they redo it or should no, it should be. But if it's a, but if it's a no contest, John Jones is no longer the champion though. Yeah. Right. That's why you have to, you have to make the rule like boxing where you say, okay, if it happens in the first, Round and a half or whatever that your limit is. If it happens before that, it's a no contest. But I guess, well, how could it be a no contest if Jones is the, I don't know. It's tough. It's look, it's a gray area, but how it is now, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. I think the way it is now, we're lucky it didn't happen. But again, when I listen to the interviews, when I watch all the replays, I'm now not convinced that Jones shouldn't have been disqualified because other people have had it happen to them. And Jones, you are already DQ'd. I know this, the 12 to 6 elbows against Matt Hamill, like, is a stain on his resume that in some ways you can argue shouldn't be there. But hey, Jones, how many things can you drop the ball on, bro? Like, afterwards, he's like, I'm so happy. God has graced me. I've screwed up so many times that I'm here. And by the way, he's right. God's given him a lot of grace. I thought the interview with Brett Okamoto of ESPN afterwards was a little weird, how he was just like, overly so happy to be there. But the point is, like, how many, like, does Jones deserve, does Jones deserve the benefit of the doubt to get his USADA suspension, uh, downgraded to 15 months when no one else in that spot would have been? No. Does Jones deserve the benefit of the doubt to get the UFC 232 card moved from Vegas to LA on six days notice and uproot everybody? No. So why in this case is it just sort of like, ah, you know, no one really wants to see Smith's champion. Cause by the way, this guy doesn't BC either, but I don't know if he should have gotten away that easy. Yeah. I, I mean, he just was so systematically dis- destroying Anthony Smith. Like he outlanded Anthony Smith two thirty eight to forty five. Like yeah, it was. And the thing is, when I'm watching it at the bar, I'm not really seeing crazy combinations or anything. I'm just seeing, okay, John Jones is landing. Anthony's backing up. Oh no, Anthony's against the cage again, and John Jones is just gonna maul you now. Like. When he was throwing his shoulder into Anthony's chin, I was like, that's unusual, but it's effective because he's just st- just bothering Anthony. And Anthony had no gas tank. That's the thing. Like, we talk about this all the time. Anthony Smith had never been in a main event like that before. And when he got to the fourth round, he was done. 
Like, he was in the damn fetal position for like a round and a half. Some, there's responsibility on someone. I don't know if it should have been on Herb Dean. I don't know if it should have been on Smith's corner. Or I don't know if it should have been on Smith himself. At some point, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're in a title fight and you're not going to try to win, should the yeah. fight just be stopped? Because, guys, there was a point in that fourth round – you could early, middle, late, after, where it's just like, look, he's not in this fight anymore. He's only going to get hurt. He's not trying to win. I'll give Smith credit. The first 30 seconds of round five, he actually tried to let his hands go, and then he was completely gassed. Mikey, at what point, as a fan, not not a, not a doctor, but just as a fan, are we like, this is no longer compelling entertainment here. End the fight. When he was sitting in the fetal position and kind of just like reaching up at Jones and Jones is just hitting him and just kind of we're like, what are we doing here? And just keeps hitting him. I was sitting there and I was like, all right, his corner needs to throw in the towel. I understand like it is a title fight. One punch could end it. But when guys are losing that bad, you're getting that dominated. Like he's young. He's Smith's pretty young, 30 years old. Like Brandon said, never been in a five round fight. So like obviously facing the greatest in the world and taking those leg kicks and the kicks to the ribs that he gets, that will mess up your cardio. And I understand that, but I, I think his team need to step in and kind of just maybe throw in the towel or in the fifth round say, hey, if you don't show us something, we're going to throw in the towel and give him that edge so he comes out there swinging, giving you what he's got. Because you don't need to see him go out there for a fifth round and just continue to get killed. But this is what we were talking about last week, right? It's like, what was the best case scenario here? Was there a best case scenario? Because it's like he was one of the highest ever um, underdogs as a challenger for a championship he was in the biggest, UFC history. Right? Wasn't he the biggest odds wise? No, he 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 came it came down a little bit because the the line was so high that gamblers just came in like, hey, this is a lot of value. But yeah, like you can't just expect somebody to be Holly Holm, you know, where they just come out of nowhere after one or two rounds. You kind of see what's gonna happen and. <laughs> Anthony Smith didn't show me a damn thing I in the know. first two rounds to, Did you to see say that he's going to do it. Did you see the tone he was taking in the post-fight? And look, I'm not trying to like – I'm no tough guy. I'm not trying to stand up to some fighter uh, with hand tats who can throw and, and is a respectful fighter and try to act like I'm some – you know. No, I'm just a pundit here. But the point is, did you hear the tone of what he was talking about? No other fighters in this division have anything on me. Like, dude, you did nothing against Jones. Like, you so actually he, owed us to get knocked out in some weird, creepy, uh, sub-violent way, right? He almost owed us. This is your shot at a title. Maybe your only chance you're ever going to get. Roll the damn dice and go for broke. Did Matt Sarah, that 11-7 and Hall of Famer, try to stink out the joint against GSP? No! He put his balls on the line! So he's like, I'm on the OSP level where we're the only two that have gone this far? Like, what? what is the theory there? Well, let me ask you this theory-wise. I saw some people giving these takes afterwards on Twitter. At the very least, Anthony Smith, by going the distance, just secured himself some big fights moving forward. Why? What is there to gain for taking extra rounds of of, uh, of punishment where you did nothing? I don't really, like, want to see him more after this performance. I respect, guys. I respect the heck out of his toughness. He took a beating. He took almost a Shogun Hua like John Jones beating, and that was one of the worst beatings in a title fight I've ever seen, especially by a challenger delivering it to a champion. And but what does this show you that now I now I know for a fact Smith can beat every other contender at two hundred five? No, your boy Johnny Walker blue or red, I think would smoke this guy after what we saw on Saturday night. I mean, it's just the same thing as like we did this with Vulcan Ozdemir, right? Vulcan Ozdemir, he showed something by trying to challenge DC. And what's happened to him since he lost to DC? Like, what big fights are there at 205 that's not John Jones? Like, tell me that. 
I don't know, Gustafson, but that's it, guys. This division. I don't want to see him against Gustafson. Gustafson's gonna destroy him. Yes, systematically, yes. 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 Like I, I just don't get it. Like, this is again, this is more what we were talking about like the last few weeks. It's so it just shows how weak and thin this division is when this is the guy. That you're like, all right, we're gonna throw him in there in the deep pool against John Jones nailed and just it. see what happens. You just nailed it, guys. Look at that top fifteen. There's nobody that I want to see against John Jones. So there's gonna be two. You're gonna you're gonna say, well, hold on, BC. You're gonna say, hold on. Ain't there Dom Reyes? Yes, there is. Very exciting guy. He's on the way up. Ain't there Johnny Weirdo? Yes, Johnny Walker. <laughs> we're gonna break that down. We're gonna break down Gus Farad slamming his head into the wall. Oh, sorry, Johnny Walker breaking his shoulder. We're gonna break all that down. Yes, eventually. I'd maybe like to see them against John Jones. But guess what? Neither are ready, nor is it really the smartest move for UFC to just throw these guys at a John Jones and do it in three months. It's time for what? It's time for John Jones to go to heavyweight. And it's time for UFC to step in the same way they've done apparently to Max Holloway and say, sorry, dude, you're going to light, you're going to that lightweight death pool of sharks. All right. Cause we're going to build you into a Habib fight. Wise, give me any reason. Why John Jones should stay at 205. He's the best fighter in the world pound for pound. He's the best fighter of all time. And at worst, at worst, third, right? At worst. And so the performance I've... he put on Saturday was brilliant. Tell me why he shouldn't go to heavyweight for ratings, for challenges, for legacy, for money, for me. <laughs> Mostly for you. Uh, I've got a couple things. One, if they end up doing this Tiago Santos fight against John Jones next, that would be the second straight challenger that he's taken on who's basically a blown-up middleweight who couldn't make it down to 185 anymore. And it, and it'll show because John Jones is so much bigger than everybody at 205, and he's so much better. Like, I just don't understand how it is that you see somebody win two or three fights in a row at light heavyweight, and it's like, oh, you're going for the title. You you got a nice quick knockout? Oh, let's get you in there as soon as we can to get you some fresh meat to John Jones. Why? Why can't you just let this man build up again? Because it, it just keeps telling me they they have not replenished this 205 division since he went out with the drug suspension the first time or the second time. And there, there's just no big-name challenger is going to give him competition at 205. May, I, here's my theory on what you were saying about Max Holloway, though. Do you think – that John Jones has more control over his own decisions than Max Holloway at this point. Because hmm. Max Holloway is doing decent business, but he doesn't do John Jones business. We were talking about it last week. How many, we were guessing at how many pay-per-view buys this, this show would do this weekend. We don't know the numbers yet. We'll see a guesstimate at some point, but John Jones's pay-per-view still sell. And you said you thought, 700,000 isn't enough, is a decent number for him to hit. Max Holloway doesn't do 700,000 pay-per-view buys ever. So no. I, I'm wondering if John Jones, do you think he has any fear of going to heavyweight? So this is interesting. Now, one thing, the, the difference between him and Max is mindset. Max is a company guy and he yep. knows that UFC and Dana White still is stuck in the, in the early, uh, Zufa era where you, re you reward company men who are willing to drop anything, even when it's not a smart move and fight anybody at any weight class. We've seen Max try that to the detriment of his own body. Jones, remember UFC 152 that never happened? He's never been a company man and never will be after that moment. He's more Randy Couture than anything else, but I respect that. Standing up for his own brand. Um, Jones used to be all about heavyweight. 
And then something changed, and I'm not sure exactly what it was. But when that changed, there were more names at light heavyweight where it may, it still made sense for him to stay there. He also then had two long drug suspensions, which put his career on pause. Now there's nobody left, and it's going to slowly weaken. Tell me, uh, here's what I'm saying: it's going to slowly weaken Jones's pay-per-view brand and potential to make money if he continues to defend against. Tiago Santos types. By the way, Tiago Santos knocked out your boy Anthony Smith last year. It's not like it happened 10 years ago. It was last year. There's nobody in this division. So, yeah, I, I wonder if Jones has a little bit of misgivings. Will I be effective? Will I be the same thing? Dude, there's an outside chance that John Jones will be even better at heavyweight because of that speed. That His quick fiber reaction mixed with the fact that in his early 30s he's starting to figure out efficiency and distance even better he's starting to figure out the Mayweather way of, of doing less more is less in some weird way like uh, dude he could tear these heavyweights apart you remember before he got popped with the steroids uh, I think it was the second time when he was getting into the uh, the bodybuilding and the yes. weight training I, that's what I want to see I want to see yoked up John Jones stepping into the ring at 255 pounds of muscle well, I was gonna say even less. I'd I say coming at two twenty, just, just but just like jacked, ripped, ready to go. So what about what? What do you think if he wanted? So he's kind of said he wants to give these guys a shot in the light heavyweight division. We just went over that there's no one here that is deserving of the shot. What if he did like a catch weight where he fought someone like a decent sized heavyweight at like two twenty five, had them cut down a little bit. You do a catch weight so he can easily get back down to two hundred five to defend a title, and he gets. A little bit of experience against a larger guy well, that would be in the heavyweight. Division. He doesn't need a catch weight. He needs a heavyweight debut. And to your point, maybe there's a middle ground where they say, okay, John, you don't have to move full time, but let's do what Anderson Silva did. He wasn't in the, de- look, I love Anderson Silva. You love Anderson Silva. He's one of the greatest of all time. Top three at worst, but he wasn't in the, the, the most deadliest era at middleweight, right? He got bored as UFC got bored of putting him against Talis latest type guys. And you know what they did? They started one offs at 205, right? So if you start one-offing Jones, and, but here's the problem. The best and most logical one-off for Jones is the one he's calling for. Brock Lesnar, monster pay-per-view, would challenge record numbers. I don't think it would reach Habib, uh, GSP, or Habib, uh, Connor numbers, but it would, it would, it would be monster, all right? Because there is some, intrigue of what would happen if Brock could take him down, but we all know that's a KO one via head kick waiting to happen. But the problem is that Dana, if you heard his post comments after 235, is all about rewarding DC with that fight. He constantly talks about how much DC has done for him, company man, by the way. Company men always get rewarded. Company men are made men. Jones, not always on Dana's good side. Who's going to get the Brock fight? DC will get it as a parting retirement gift. But what the UFC should do is make Jones Lesnar now. Say, hey, Brock, I know you got mania plans. I know Vince is paying you a lot of money. But International Fight Week, July 6th, we're going to try to break our own pay-per-view record. And so is- Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's a perfect. It's the perfect one-off to get used to the is division. This a, is this a parting gift or is it a gift saying, hey, I'm going to give you this big fight. You come back for me and you fight Jones for a third time. Oh, I like that little back. So something like, hey, like you've done it for the company. You've come through like this. Like we're going to give you Brock. You give us one last Jones and then you can retire. I like that because nobody gets anything for free when you're dealing with these uh with these desert gangsters here called uh the UFC, right? Why is that? Could be a. Exactly. There's something sneaky good there. I like that. I do like that. I. While you guys are thinking about that out loud, I'm wondering in my head, like, 
because John Jones keeps saying that he doesn't really want to do this, right? Like he just wants to keep taking on whatever challengers are at 205. I'm thinking, do you think he's in here trying to get as much? Because you brought this up last week. Do you think he's taking these quick fights trying to get more cash? Do you think that there's something there that he is just like, it doesn't even matter at this point what my pay-per-view numbers are because I have a set number I get guaranteed for each fight anyway. And then I'm just yes. going to cash out at the end of this, like maybe at the end of 2019 or 2020, I'm going to cash out with a Lesnar fight or a DC fight and make three times whatever that number is. You know what Jones is really good at doing? Fighting. You know what the only thing in his life right now that can pay obscene amount of money is? Fighting. Do you know what just happened the last couple of years? He had his fighting future compromised. Guys, he faced the potential idea, even though in the end you sort of buckled bad and got him out of there in 15 months with that reduced suspension. But he did face the idea of losing four years of his prime, right, to that to a suspension. That's four years of mega money. So I, I wouldn't doubt, considering he's only fought, what, twice in like two to three years, that – Part of it is let me just keep cashing some of these checks. Let me let me make up for potential lost time. I think Jones realized right there how quickly it could all fall away through loss, injury, or suspension. So I think part of that is the idea of of quick turnarounds want to stay active. Maybe just thinking more of maybe the you know, I'm already considered the GOAT by a lot of people. Outside of chasing this Lesnar payday, maybe the maybe it's just best for me to just get as many title defenses as I possibly can, beat all these guys I know I can beat and get out of there. But as a fan, you got to be thinking, I want this guy at heavyweight. But there's a devil's advocate question here, linked here, okay? If Jones does what I'm saying, go to heavyweight, fight Lesnar, fight Cormier in a trilogy, fight at that point every other heavyweight, Stipe, Kane, all those are blockbuster giant fights that are great for Jones's legacy, great for entertainment, great for money and pay-per-view buys. But the downside to that is what he would leave behind is an empty division in which Alexander Gustafsson who fought nobly but came up empty in three separate title fights against the best in that era of that division, would you guys be okay with him fighting some upstart for a vacant title and the idea of Gustafson being a champion without ever having – the same thing we used to say about DC. Are we okay with DC as 205 champion even though he never beat Jones? Well, Gus wouldn't have beaten anybody. And maybe Gus wouldn't win it. Maybe Johnny Walker Weirdo knocks him out with a knee in two seconds and breaks his – Breaks his crotch, uh, hump in the ground. Maybe that happens, but would you guys be okay if Gustafson backdoored that as a, as sort of a, uh, casualty of war of Jones moving up? Well, Gustafson is also talking about going to heavyweight. So even imagine it without yeah. Gustafson. Yeah. Then who's the top Think of the pool? Think about it. You lose your three best light heavyweights to the heavyweight division <laughs> at that point. You've lost Cormier. You'll lose Jones and then you're going to lose Gustafson. So you basically have just taken the light heavyweight division, added 30 to 50 pounds on all of them and just bumped them up and they'll all fight each other again. Yeah, that's, that's not a good ending. That's really not that good. Hmm. Interesting. Um, to me, to me, that's more of kind of what Mikey was saying, but dude, I, I mean, maybe it's time to introduce a cruiserweight division to no, the UFC. No, 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 no. I think the 265 limit and UFC's decision to stick to that removes the need for a cruiserweight division. But that's a 60-pound difference between light heavyweight and heavyweight. What if you went, what if you went 185, 195, 225, or 215? See, I'd be more in line for that. I'd be more in line of taking the light heavyweight limit and raising it than I would introducing any kind of new division. 
That's yeah, fine. so you raise it and then you put you would put one in between light heavyweight and middleweight, possibly. And you'd have a lot of guys cutting back down to middleweight to get away from some exactly. smaller heavyweights. I get it, but look, the, the, the I don't know. I don't know. It is uh, what it is. Final thing on Jones here, unless you guys have anything else I want to ask you, is I keep talking about this Lesnar fight. Look, Dana said, I haven't heard from Brock, but when I do, he's going to call me and he's going to be ready. So in my eyes, guys, that means after WrestleMania, unless Vince McMahon throws, again, an S-load of money at him to stay. Uh What's the difference in pay-per-view buys between Jones Lesnar and DC Lesnar? Is it wide enough that Dana should consider not being loyal to DC? Where do you guys think that goes? I, I don't think so, just because I think DC's mic skills are just that much better than Jones at this point. Like, Jones is good, don't get me wrong, but he's more of just like, I'm going to kill you kind of thing, you know? Yeah, he says he, things he, like this, Wise. No more dick pills, right? DC says funny things, and... I mean, you've talked about it before. He wants to be like a WWE type guy. So he knows how to like play the game a little bit more. And I think that'll still help their pay-per-view buys more than it would be to be just like a Jones versus Lesnar type fight. Hey, hey, Mikey, who has a better chance? Lesnar of upsetting Jones or Lesnar of upsetting DC? Ooh, that is, that is tough. Or being um, competitive. So it's not just a one round wash. I think you probably say he has a better chance against DC hmm. because his striking's a little bit worse than John's. That's that's the only thing that I can kind of pull out of this, which is tough because he's the better wrestler. I like I think I like Jones's height and reach. I think that'll make the fight easier for him against um Lesnar. So I'd have to go with Lesnar as the easier fight. Against Cormier. I think I went about that a very weird way. <laughs> I just think the speed is just going to be so different if he's fighting Jones because yes. Jones is going to be leaner and DC will come in at like 250 again. But even so, at 250, DC's hands are fast for a heavyweight. So they are, but his feet aren't. Like he's not getting out of the way. And you know how Lesnar is. He's just going to try to bull rush you and take you down to the ground. All right. Let so, me ask you this on Lesnar because he's never passed a drug test in the USADA era. Does he do one of three things? Okay. Doesn't juice and just takes the hard L. Via first strong KO against either guy. Uh, Juice is straight up with no filter and is like, whatever, find me later type of deal. Or, or some kind of in between where he, uh, where he takes untraceables but doesn't go for it and, you know. What if, what if he gets the pictograms? And then just goes, well, maybe he's, maybe he's the other fighter. Maybe he's the other fighter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Brock, where did you get these drugs from? I actually do. I've got one. Um, and I got it from your mom. Oh, come on. That's, that's unnecessary. Um, yeah. All right. That's uh, enough of that. Let's put that to bed. I want to jump though, because this is somewhat transgently related to Jones. Transgently? I don't know if that was the right word. Um, but, uh, I want to talk about your guy, Johnny Walker on the undercard. All right. This guy is a first class clown. Established that many times over. First class clown. But you are a hater. But here comes the but. Okay, first class clown. Yes, but but the guy's freaking nasty. Okay, against these <laughs> B minus level guys, the guys the guys video game nasty. He's jacked. He's six six. He's dynamic. He has finally won me over. Do I still want to see him folded up in a suitcase and sent to hell? Maybe, but. I have to see what happens next. I have to see him against a, the guy in the next step of the ladder, whoever that is. He took Misha Serkinov to the, like, 
He took his soul. Took his whole soul away. He took, he took the guys, guys, it was, what was this? 30 seconds? He's on a Ronda, he's on like a Ronda Rousey type run. Like. 38 seconds. You just got. He took his nuts, now you gotta take his whole. Yeah, take his whole soul away. Take his house out. It wow. Before Brandon goes off on this, it seems like Dana is doing the right thing with this guy. 26 years old and Dana said he's not going to get anyone, anyone good. No, he's not going to get a crazy jump up. He basically said, we're going to ease this guy in through his fights. So it doesn't seem like they're going to throw him in to fight Jones next or one of those top five guys and let him get killed. It seems like they want to build this star a little bit. And I know Brandon likes no that. No crazy jump up. He took on a top 15 dude. I mean, Misha Serkinov at one point was considered a top five challenger at 205. He's going no, down no, now. No, no, no. Top five? Well, this is a bad division. But top uh, five? Yeah. <laughs> no, top five? Hold on. But can we celebrate the fact that you have seen the light? You now understand the greatness that is Johnny Walker Red oh, and how great and how dynamic he is. Because that's the thing. You didn't like him because he was just does his crazy celebrations. And admittedly, the fact that he hurts himself celebrating is just oh, fantastic. Like, but his his knee, like, come on, man. Like, that was insane. Got the guys in that, on this level, again, you never know – because let's remind, I mean, Connor was doing ridiculous helicopter kicks at the lower levels. Then he had a, you know, you never know if somebody can do this MVP crazy crap shtick at the elite level. But at this level, this guy's a freaking human highlight reel. I can't deny it. And he's doing it against, like we said, respected contenders now. Solid guys, not guys with giant flaws. Wow. Wow. And that wasn't like a crazy one punch knockout. Like that was a systematic knee to the head. So here's the deal. All right. Here's the deal. You ready for this? The best thing Johnny Walker has going for him, outside of like marketing, and he seems to get it. He's a freaking weirdo, but he seems to get how to promote himself, and and he's Brazilian too, which is potentially good because, look, you know, all great Brazilian stars, even the great Anderson Silva, really couldn't talk, right? Aldo can't talk. Cyborg can't talk. Have we ever? Henan Barral, God, the guy's dead. He can't talk at all. I mean. Jago Silva, I mean, stop, Vitor, stop me when you tell me, show me a Brazilian star who can talk, right? Vitor, uh, Leoto, uh, Hoyce. Shogun. Uh, Helios Gracie, uh, Shogun. Uh, um, yeah, exactly, okay? But, you know what the best thing Johnny Walker has going for him? He almost doesn't understand how good he is, and number two, how insane it is what he's doing. And number three, that like, there's levels to this. And when you get a guy who's so talented, and he is, but doesn't understand, like, you should be a little more conservative in some spots, or you shouldn't be this good against this level of competition yet. I almost, as much as there's an argument to make, don't send him in against Jones now, you could ruin what he could potentially be. I almost want to see that so badly, and not even in six months. I want to see it like next weekend, because he doesn't understand like, that you shouldn't be this good. Like, I want to see him go in there and try some of this wild-ass-ish against Jones and see if he can land it. Like, you get you get what I'm saying? I feel like if there was too much of a build-up to get there, he might start being unnecessarily conservative or he might get in there and fro- freeze or something. He's so, like, weird and wacky and wild. He might jump to the top of the cage and do some kind of moonsault on Jones. Like, I'm ready to see all of it. The full Monty. Give it to me now. Tell me why we shouldn't see this this year. The only thing I'll say is that the why I didn't want to see it yet is because he even said after the fight, 
I, I wanted that to be a full fight. I didn't want it to be a quick knockout. He wanted to get more cage time and more experience. So I still want to see what he looks like when he's challenged at least. So I know what Brian was saying that Dana doesn't want to give him like a top five or a content, number one contender fight yet. But I kind of want to see that just because I don't know what he looks like when he gets past a minute and a half. And you know, and that's what happened with Vulcan. That's the same thing that happened to him. He got to the point where he was knocking dudes out like this in like 15 and 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden he gets to DC and he misses a punch and then he's dead. Like it was just so <laughs> weird. So I want to see dead. what Johnny Walker looks like against those top level dudes. Not John Jones yet because I think that's a little too ambitious, but maybe in a couple, maybe in six months or nine months. Maybe. I think, I think you'll see it in 2019. I'm looking at his, um, at his fight page right now. He had five fights in 2018. Wow. And then two fights already in 2019. So you might see him face someone, maybe 10, 9, and then you might see him face 5, 6, both of those in this year. Should be pretty interesting. But I like what you guys are saying about how <clears throat> he's almost, he doesn't, almost doesn't see the moment. He's not, he's not ready to be scared in the moment because it's almost like he doesn't know what he's in. He's just going out there. Letting his stuff fly in it and it's working. He's like a dude like on your f- college freshman floor who's like kind of good looking but not really but like it's just rec- has reckless balls and he'll just go up to like the hottest chick possible and try yep. to mac and then it might actually work because he's just so reckless and and then you're like that guy got that chick are you kidding me and then you're sort of inspired by it but you're like well I can never take chances like that <laughs> exactly. Who so what I'm saying is he against, might though? end up banging wise. Do you want to see him against Dom Reyes? Who do you want to see him bang? <laughs> Let him fight Glover Teixeira. No, don't don't ruin Re- Reyes. Look, there's enough retreads. Glover Teixeira, perfect example. I think we need to see him on that retread level. Corey Anderson, a, a, a guy, although Anderson's not coming off a defeat, somebody on that level coming off of a defeat had been up at the highest level before, probably 34, 35 years old. Yeah, Glover Teixeira is probably the OSP's guy, right? Got, OSP's got some similar height to him where you get, uh. OSP just got rescheduled for yeah, the but o- OSP's too, card. He, see, the OSP's in Uriah Hall's in the world that any given night can just F around and knock you out with like a spinning wheel kick. And I don't think you want that for Johnny Walker yet. I you want know who that. you described? You know who you described when you said a 30 year old retread? Is the guy that Tiago Santos just knocked out, John Blachowicz. Exactly, John Blachowicz, Johnny Walker, and Kiritiba coming up main event. Actually, I, I'd put him on the on the fight night main event level. Do it. I mean, bring him to Fort Lauderdale, please. I would love that. Please, just send me a location, Dana. I will be there. <laughs> Fort Lauderdale. What's the arena in Fort Lauderdale? Is there one? BB&T Center. Well, sure. who plays there? What is it? What is the Florida it? Panthers, <laughs> sir. The Florida Panthers play in Fort Lauderdale. Sawgrass. It's, 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 it's sunrise. sunrise. I thought yeah. they were in Tampa. We, we keep Panthers? that hidden. We keep that hidden. The Panthers Tampa have always lightning. been there? Tampa Lightning. Yeah. Oh, they the have lightning. the damn Lightning. So you're telling me the Florida – oh, yeah, they've always been Miami based. I didn't realize – I guess I – yeah, it's hockey. No one watches hockey, right? What? Yeah. People in the Northeast do, not you. No, no, no. No one watches hockey <laughs> anymore. No, no, no. Yeah, right. I'm going to Canada on, on Wednesday. I think a lot of people in Canada watch hockey. I don't know. I don't know about that. All right, we we're, we're going to spend too much. What a great show already! We're going to spend too much time on this two thirty five thing. Let's run through some things. All right, you guys ready? Let's buckle up. Let's do it. Co main event. All oh, crap, guys. Holy crap! CBS Sports' own Kamaru Usman Marty from Nebraska. Marty from the block. Guys, he took his house. Oh, I cannot believe it. 
yes, I could have believed that Usman could defeat Woodley by unanimous decision by being that dog. But do I think he could have dismantled him the way he did for five rounds where Woodley had what? Two right hands he landed and nothing else. Would I ever guess that Woodley's corner, Dean Thomas, shout out, would have been like, bro, you, you're losing it here. Like, show me something. I, what's, what's the deal here? Did Woodley have nothing or is Usman, did Usman have everything? Some math formula happened there. I cannot believe he dominated a guy who we were trying to say coming in is so much better than you realize, could be the best welterweight of all time, blah, blah, blah. Usman crapped on that. I owe Usman an apology, man. That was – so does somebody else over here who just gave Usman no chance. No, in the I, I hedged fight. that by the end. But, or, oh, okay. but by the end, I was saying, look, it's going to be a tough-ass fight for Woodley, but he's not beating Woodley. Woodley's too dynamic. He's too great. No, guys. This Usman thing that he does, which is get up in that ass, is insane. It's insane. It's insane. Luke Thomas, my my uh, brethren from MMA Fighting on the uh, MMA Beat, said it's basically Cain Velasquez, like his his cardio. And I was like, you know, it actually kind of is. How um, so? Usman now has to do a bully a bully telegram for uh for the UFC, right? For what he did to Woodley, because Woodley was running in that cage in the first round. He was backing up against the cage the entire time. I've never seen Woodley like that. He couldn't get any of his punches off. The first round when Usman took him down and just was raining body shots into his ribs, I I felt the pain from my house oh in South Florida. I was sitting there and I was like, I would have tapped out 10 minutes ago. Dude, he took all the air out of Woodley's balloon because every second of that fight, Usman was throwing a strike. And it could be like these strikes that we would deem ineffective, but they add up when every second of 25 minutes you're getting hit by this guy. And I was talking to somebody here about that, and he was saying the same thing that Mikey said. Like, if any other person or fighter was in that situation where he just got hit repeatedly in the same spot on his rib cage, just 12 straight, one, two, three, and just kept going, that's how you systematically stop somebody. Like, Woodley's corner was imploring him to do something, but it's like, dude, I can't breathe. <laughs> you know, like, I'm struggling to get my get my cardio going again while this guy is not letting me get time. He's in my face the whole fight, the whole 25 minutes. Kamaru was not letting his foot off the gas off the gas pedal and just putting Woodley in the corner, hitting him with his uppercuts, hitting with his dirty boxing and then taking him to the ground. Have we seen Woodley taken down like that since he won the belt? Like I think no. that was the more impressive no. thing. I Woodley had Woodley a takedown in yeah, go I ahead. believe he came in with a 96% takedown. 97, down. over 97 in his UFC record. In terms, the only, there was only one person that ever took him down. I forgot who they said it was. Was or it was Rory? Rory McDonald. Yeah, like that's insane. Yeah, I, and watching that live, it was kind of just like, I, I don't know what's going on in Woodley's head, you know? Because when he's got him against the cage, you're thinking to yourself like, okay, Woodley's a big counter striker. He should be able to, you know. Get his get some push off the space and throw his left hook or right hook, but no, the pressure that Usman has on him is just almost unstoppable. It it's is. just it's un unbelievable. And we talked about it how that's like he and Colby have the similar style. I don't know how you beat that guy because he's not giving you those chances to land hard or land an elbow in tight. He's just going to wrestle you to death and. He doesn't have the knockout power. When he talked to us about it, he said he was going to save those for this kind of fight. He didn't even need it. He's just that dominant of a fighter 
that it doesn't matter. And on top of the fact that he said he was in a walking boot on Monday when he got to Vegas, that he was dealing with like a, a broken bone in his foot or so, or something like that. That, that guy is just unbelievable. He's, 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 a, he's, as Jim Brown would say. Ghetto man, and he fights in a ghetto way. Um, that was straight ghetto, the way he just manhandled him. And here's the thing. We were waiting the entire time for Woodley to finally, like, figure it out, find an opening, land that big right hand. And there was that moment, I think it was three or round three or four, where he did land a right hand, but there was nothing on it. There was nothing on the level of a normal Tyron Woodley sort of, I, fi- I figured you out, I found you. And that's credit to what Usman did. Now you have one of these guys that you're like, I want to see him against every style, every big name, because if he can dictate his will, and look, we said he's kind of a front runner, right? Well, yeah, he is. But until, until you can stop that, right? Until you can keep a guy like that off of you, holy crap. So shout out to him that, that I underestimated him, like that, okay, you did this against, uh, retreaded Maya, against washed RDA, but can you do it against Woodley? Dude, he made Woodley feel every second of 36. And I know Woodley's saying, no, no, I, I run it back. I'll get, no, no, you, you actually, I'm sorry. You actually don't deserve a rematch when you lose like this. I don't see that fight happening or any different result of that fight if they run it back. I see the exact same thing happen. Well, even if, if and look, I'll give Woodley credit mentally. I'm sure he could figure up a game plan where he could get more out of himself. He was overwhelmed and surprised this time. But, but again, my point is if you lose every second of a five round fight and you get the crap kicked out of you, really, I don't think you deserve an instant rematch as a champion. Yeah, especially when, like you said, you didn't even win. You won zero rounds. You like, could have probably put a 10 8 in there somewhere. Plus, on top of that, Dana don't really like Tyron. You know? He doesn't like his attitude about everything and how he, he was kind of the one who delayed a lot of this talk between Colby and he getting that title fight done earlier than it, than this one with Kamaru happened. So I, I don't see Dana deciding, yeah, you know what? Tyron des- deserves another shot. We're going to make this fight happen again. There's too much more big business for them at 170 with Kamaru now. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's talk about that business because what happened over the weekend was the Colby Covington Las Vegas takeover circus carnival. Wow. There were, uh, there were times that I was embarrassed to, to be a part of this sport that employs a guy like Colby Covington. Then there were part times where I was like, Oh, it seemed like it works. So the whole gist of it is he charters a private jet, brings his fake interim title that isn't even on him anymore, wears his MAGA hat. Interrupts Kamaru's public workout with a megaphone, gets thrown out by UFC security, and then does the ultimate troll job of finding Dana at the Palms Casino, which is owned by his bros, the Fertitas, with a seemingly his mistress by his side playing, what, blackjack? And then with a camera in hand is like, why you not give me a title fight? 
and Dana snaps at him. They turn the camera off. I thought that was Firedville for him. I thought it was like, you're talking about you want your release. You just got it. But in interviews the next day with Dana, he said, like, no, no, we talked about it for five minutes afterwards. We're all good now. And then you got Colby Cage side. Then you got Marty after exiting the octagon, almost getting into a fight with him. And then what the hell happened? The next day there's video of them actually getting into a pushing skirmish with Brandon's boy Ali in the middle of it, starting it. I think this tells us that Colby has next. Does he deserve it, Brandon, for this charade he pulled this weekend? Does he deserve it because of that? No, he deserves it because he was the number one contender in line for the title shot and then got passed over because he had an injury. First of all, I don't think Kamaru was the one really involved in that shoving match. I think it was like a bodyguard and then Ali because like if you look at that video, Colby's kind of just like, what What are you guys doing? Like I'm just kind of hanging out here. And then all of a sudden a gigantic man just starts charging towards Colby. And then Ali like tried to shove and then throw a punch. Yeah, and Kamaru like and Kamaru's hands. like trying to hold them both back. Like, no, 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 we don't need to do this right now. He's like, he, I think he said something like, I'm coming for you next. Don't worry about it. So, I mean, we said it before the fight. Tyron against Colby is going to sell because those guys hate each other. Like, hate each other. And that should have been a number one contender fight. But now that it's going to involve the belt, I'm all in, man. Like, that, to me, that's, that's, and I need Ali to get the hell out of here with saying the next fight for Kamaru is Ben Askren. He just no. tweeted that, yeah. No, it is not the next fight for Kamaru, man. Come on. All right, yeah. I mean, you can't do that. But ugh, Colby's, man. Mikey, Colby's rough, man. I mean, <laughs> come on. He's rough. I, I I would like to see him get served some humble pie. Wow. We'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. I'd <laughs> like him to eat a giant piece of humble pie. Well, on this topic, our buddy Jack Crosby, CBS, did send me a quick little message here. Apparently, Colby is on the Ariel show, and here's an exact quote about that interaction with Ali in the casino where Usman and Ali were pushing Colby around. And I don't know if you noticed, Colby did not have the same uh, intensity, same energy that that uh, that he does normally when they approached him. But Colby says, quote, that terrorist rat should be deported back to whatever country he snitched on. You know what he told me? He told me he was going to shoot me and kill me. And I have witnesses that heard him say that. Bro, Colby, um, end quote, by the way. Uh, like, I get that you're doing this MAGA character and you got chicks around you. You don't want to mess with these dudes, though. There's some dudes that you just do. Like, when I was growing up, it's different today. But if somebody had a tat below their elbow... Or above their collarbone. You just didn't mess with them. Like you just didn't, like it was just a universal sign. You don't mess with me. Tattoos have changed these days, but Ali has that look. I'm not messing with that guy under any circumstance. And I'm not calling him a rat publicly and talking about deportation. I don't think he had that same energy when they approached him in the casino. You got any comments about this wise? You don't want that smoke. That's all it is. Don't don't mess with somebody who's an informant or alleged informant. <laughs> alleged. Please say alleged, or he'll be or he will become <laughs> looking for you. Okay. I mean, come on. That's you know. Send you. If you wanna find me, please just send me location. No, he won't. Be, you won't have to send it. He will find you. Thank you. We got to move on from that. Hey, another welterweight bout on this card. Wow. We have controversy. We have violence. We have action. We have spectacular moves. It's Ben Askren getting a technical submission via Bulldog Choke first round over former champion Robbie Lawler, and there is so much to talk about here, guys, in so little time, but I'll say this. Ben Askren showed us a lot in this fight. Toughness, 
chin, get slammed on his head via like WWE suplex, got it busted up by Lawler's old man. Like Lawler was so vicious on that ground and pound that A, you could have stopped the fight and B, it almost looked like, remember the time at 199, Dan Henderson took, uh, Hector Lombard to the woodshed and he looked like with those like vicious, he went like from zero to like motorcycle gang member with those elbows and you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe Askren survived that, got his legs back, forced a clinch and then put himself in a position to get a controversial submission. Wow. But the topic that everyone wants to talk about is Herb Dean stoppage here, guys. I'm on the fence. I'm like, uh, what do we do here? It was tough to see. Uh, our boy Lawler's face was hidden via the bulldog choke. His right arm did drop. In the end, guys, I'm not mad at Herb Dean. I'm not. I'm not mad at him. I don't know what else he could have done in that spot. It's unfortunate that Lawler pops right back up after the submission defeat, and he's like, I'm fine. What else are you going to do? Yeah, that's one of those. I, I get it. I I don't agree with the stoppage. I thought it was a bad stoppage, and we can debate that forever, but – it's one of those split second decisions that a ref's got to make. You know, he sees something that we're not used to being, we're not trained to see. You know, like he sees an arm go down. And even if he might hear Lawler say something or he sees a movement from Lawler, he's trained to do something else and be like, Hey, he's out. His brain has stopped working. If he's choked anymore, he might die. You know, he's trained to see those kind of like symptoms. So I get that. And. I understand Herb Dean's decision. I think more people had issues with Mark Goddard's decisions in the Kamaru Usman uh, Woodley fight, but I, I get what yeah, Herb what was, that? was trying to the do. The inconsistency of when he broke them up. He was uh he took a shot at our guy John Anik. Dude, I'm Goddard. talking Anik, the man. Don't text and drive. Little out of character. Yeah. Now anyone knows the real John Anik. He'll sling it if you bring it. But John Ennick, the public figure, came at Mark Goddard on Twitter. Goddard came back. It was back and forth. Man, my guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I tell him only one show brings it every week, and they got three hosts no one else can beat. I'm talking Ennick, the man. Don't text and drive. John Ennick brought it. Wow. Fired up I, right I, there. So, so they were saying that the inconsistencies where Joan um, – where they were standing up Kamaru and Woodley versus when they weren't doing it for Jones. That was what it was basically getting to when Anik was kind of saying, hey, I'd like the same stuff. Like you were telling Kamaru and Usman this is a fight. But I, what it circles back to is I think if it was a different referee who doesn't make, doesn't call that stoppage or calls that stoppage, they get a lot more slack, but, or a lot more heat for that. But since it's Herb Dean, he doesn't really have those egregious calls where you're like, well, what is he doing? What, what was that call? So I think we give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I know that's how I feel at least. I'm okay with the stoppage, mainly because it was Herb Dean who did it and because there's no other camera angles. There's yeah, not a camera a angle, angle that shows Robbie Lawler clearly awake or clearly out. So at this point, you just kind of kind of take it. Like Herb Dean's ref probably a million fights. Like he most definitely knows better than me, so – Stick with my guy on this one. Wise, you got to give credit though to Lawler for the grace. I mean, to hog and, and handshake uh, Dean afterwards so quickly. I mean, he could have really milked that and rode that if he wanted to. But I, like I mean, we we all thought he was on his way to a win. Like before that, he gets to the choke, he was beating up Ben Askren. That flip he did landed, throwing Askren on his head. And yeah, it's just like I I thought he had the win. 
And then all of a sudden Ben Askren gets back to his feet and we're just like, oh, well, we know how this ends. We've seen this movie before. So we would love to see the rematch. I just don't think that's where the business is going between those two guys. I think they're both going in different directions. Brian, who would you like to see get the next that next fight for Askren? So that's interesting because, all right, Woodley doesn't – I don't think Woodley deserves the rematch with Usman. I've been saying it. You can't lose every second of a fight like that. You know, I mean, I know Woodley was built in a strong title reign, but I don't think he's one of these guys who it's like, okay, man, that guy's been the champion for 10 years, Demetrius Johnson level. He needs to run it back. I think Colby deserves it next for as much of a clown as he is. He was the interim champion. He's, he's virtually unbeaten. Selfishly, I want to see Askren go to the next level and get another marketable guy and, and, and I, cause I want to see him become a thing. I don't want to see him get exposed in the end, right? I want to see, like, I've been waiting for this chance for, to see his skills against the elite. I want to see him have a chance to become a thing. But look, maybe it's just he handled it with such grace. I think Lola deserves this rematch. So I think you, I think you go back to it. I could see why Askren is tweeting out that he wants what Darren Tilly's tweeting, like this kind of stuff. And, but fair is fair. One last question. Do you think he took more damage in that first round or in that, that fight than he did in the previous, what, 18 fights of his career? Cause yeah. beforehand, I don't, I can't recall him taking. Well, that one heavy, fight with the eye poke. Shot. Remember that one fight in one where there was, it was like a no yeah, contest. There was an eye poke cancellation. And I, that was a little bit of a weird fight. It was a little closer than people thought. He's taken a little bit of damage. I think it was the, yeah, that one, that one fight with one, but. No, dude. And that's the thing. Like, we didn't really know because he's been so dominant. He's been the ultimate front runner. So I think this was a win-win. Like, obviously, it was a victory, controversial as hell. But the fact that Askren showed us so much, it's almost perfect in that regard. I mean, even if he would have lost, it would almost been like a Brock Lesnar, Frank Mir type of loss where it's like, man, uh, yeah, he lost, but I got to see him again. And I think he, he got a chance to show that with the toughness that it's almost in some weird ways, best case scenario that it played out that way. I get why he doesn't want Lawler again. Lawler's old man strength, no business can just stuff your wrestling plans just by being vicious. I mean, the guy's just, he's, he's amazing. And I thought he was washed and he did not look washed there, but I don't know. Wise, where are you? Fair is fair. You got to run that back. You got to give Lawler that chance. I think he deserves a chance. I just don't think they're going to do it. That's the problem. Like I would love to see the rematch done and I would love to see Robbie Lawler get another chance to write that wrong. I just think, Ben Askren's got enough clout that they're going to give him a, a bigger-ish name than Robbie Lawler. But dude, if he and gets Robbie Darren Till, another... and I know he wants Darren Till, sorry to cut you off there, but uh, no. he, that's an easier fight for him, though, I think. I, th- I think it is. I think Darren Till's an easier opponent than Lawler for his style. But he also brings in more attention. That's the thing. He's got the entire fan base in England that's going to get behind him for that kind of fight. And Askren will know just how to poke that fan base to get them excited to buy it he'll do that he'll talk the right crap to uh darren till and get everyone invested all right but what about the idea of how afterwards askren turned into an immediate heel in the post-fight interview and calls out dana right away and look we know they had history in the past but it's sort of become fun history once dana welcomed them in finally and for him to say predict that he knew dana was going to have a problem with the stoppage and then dana did will that hold him back at all is he immune to Dana kind of penalizing him for being Askren? I think other people possibly, but Askren's a little different. Like he's gotten away with this for years now where he pokes at Dana. And I, to be honest, I thought I would never see Askren in the UFC. I thought he was just kind of trolling Dana like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the best, I'm the best, blah, blah, blah. 
and I thought we would never see him. So I'm shocked, one, that we're seeing him in the UFC, and I think he gets away with it. I think he has enough hype, and it's it's good for the sport of MMA to have someone come over to, I know you don't want to call it the big leagues, but the big leagues of the UFC and take out a top, I don't want to say top contender, but a guy who's up there and in interesting fashion. Yeah. So I think it's good for him. I think we need to keep asking around, give him the next bump, whether that's till, I don't know who else it could be, but I think we give him that next bump. Yeah, I think he showed you, though, that he's, he's going to be fun. We know he's going to be fun how he can talk his way in. We know he's going to be fun if he dominates you with wrestling, but if he can show legit top-shelf elite heart against these guys, man, this is going to be a fun ride. All right, bros, we got to roll on or we'll be here forever. I was impressed by Weili Zong's performance. Not overly impressed. She beats Tisha Torres, three-round decision. Deserved it. I want to see more. Good fighter. Didn't have that next-level ability in this fight, though, so we have to hold off on on crowning her as the next women's strawweight thing. But interesting prospect to watch. But the story of this main card, or the last story to cover on this main card, was Cody Garbrandt. Three straight knockout defeats the former champion, just 27. So here's the deal. You give Pedro Munoz a lot of credit because he knew the quickest, the best way to get to Cody was to lure him into a damn brawl, get him reckless. That's what he did. And to do that against somebody like Cody, you got to have the chin and you got to have the tight technique. He had both. He absorbed bombs, and he came back to knock Cody out. Guys, this is a bad loss. Yes, it's MMA. Yes, you can bounce back from this. Yes, he's still 27. But he just shows you how quickly you can unravel him. I don't know, Brandon. Like, I'm I'm nervous that he'll never be truly elite again and will just sort of be a fun TV journeyman mid-card guy because – like this should have been, this was the right opponent for him to come back, be smart, slow down, throw down, be, you know, like give us some wrinkles. Like what happened to the guy that beat Cruz? That was wise beyond his years. Brandon wise. Tell me. I want to say the confidence got broken at some point just because he was so elusive in that Dominic Cruz fight where he didn't go for broke because he didn't need to. He knew in that fight he was just so much faster and dynamic than Dominic that he was able to just kind of beat around him and then beat straight to the point where he could win the title. Then the TJ fight happens, and he just gets bullied. And you can see it in his face when he just gets – when he starts getting pushed around and he's not the one who's able to control the pace, he just can't deal with it. And he's just like, all right, I got to go for broke here because I'm not going to survive. And he just goes that 0-60 to And he gets cut every time. TJ catches him with that right hand right across the chin. Drops him straight. Second fight, same damn thing. And then this weekend happens. And Pedro Munoz, to his credit, starts pushing the pace a little bit. Gets TJ into that like brawler mentality. And you know what happens when you start throwing heavy? You duck underneath. And you, he tried to get into that phone booth style. And he went too hard. And what happens when that, when you get into the phone booth and you're starting to do the duck underneath like you do in boxing? One hand's down, the other hand's open, and that chin is open, and he gets caught every time. It's crazy. I don't, I don't know how the camp hasn't, how Alpha Male hasn't figured this out and kind of worked this into his brain where, hey, we know you have heavy hands and you have that power, but Utilize your wrestling. I'm pretty sure he was a state champion wrestler in Ohio yes. growing up. So you need to fall back on some of your strengths and fight a smart fight. You see a lot of these fighters 
learn that they have heavy hands and completely abandon what got them yeah, to dude, the show. Aaron Pico, right? Like, come on. Like, exactly. Like, which makes it, me wonder, look, the win over Dominic Cruz was brilliant. It was mature beyond his years. He only had 10 fights. It was like, oh my God, this guy's everything and he's marketable and he had a crazy upbringing and this and that. But if Cruz wasn't hurt in that fight and if Cruz had fight changing power, would the same thing have happened, right? Like, we don't know, right? Like, it's tough to say. Or did all the – look, let's be honest. Cruz was unbeaten with 10 pro fights when he won the title. Did he get too cocky? Did he stop training as hard? Did he figure he couldn't learn anything more? You just never know in that spot. Was it just two fights against TJ where the, the grudge match element of it got to him and he got easily pulled into a brawl? I don't know. But Pedro Munoz is on the map. I want to see more of him. Good victory. I'm nervous for Cody's future. I think you gotta soft pedal him from here, give him time off, let his brain heal, let a lot heal, let his ego heal, and figure this out. Alright bros, we're having sound issues today, we're having a lot of stuff. <laughs> Full disclosure, we've had to record this part three times already, the record <laughs> keeps breaking, but I promise, I do want to tell you about this Zabit fight! Mag- Zabit Magomedov Sharapov! Wow, I just butchered that, I'm sorry yeah, Zabit. <laughs> you are the featherweight star of our dreams, you are legit. And this was a three-round fight against Jeremy Stevens that was entertaining. It was all action, 29-28 across the board on all three scorecards. But it wasn't a brawl. It was sort of this technical, really fun fight. And I think everybody wins in the end, guys. Zabit raises his ceiling and shows you that he is that guy. Stevens, yes, uses his power too much, but that's who he is. He gave a tough-out gatekeeper in the good sense of gatekeeper-like performance. I think everybody's elevated. I want to see them all again. I can't wait to find out how Zabit how good he is, where his ceiling is. I want to be up there with him, right up above him, under the ceiling, finding out how great he can be. This guy at featherweight, yes. I know I'm late to the party on him, Brandon. You're always ahead of the game with these Eastern Europeans. Take the credit. I love me some Zabit. Uh, yeah, it was just one of those next evolutions of what he can look like. He didn't have the overwhelming power to finish Stevens like he has in the last few fights. He didn't. He didn't even try to really utilize the wrestling game that he used in his last fight where he put off that Sulav stretch and pulled somebody's hamstring apart. He was just showing a more complete game, and he wanted to stand and bang with Jeremy Stevens, which is a tough task for anybody to do. And he did it. He ate the best shots that Jeremy had to throw at him, I thought. And he gave a dynamic performance where, yeah, he might have been in danger a few times, but he was still the one landing more and landing more effectively. So... I like it for him. I'm hoping he gets a top five opponent next, maybe top three, because he's on that level. I mean, at this point, 145, the new wave is coming, man. Yeah. Uh, Volkanovski's here. Zabit is here. Max is here. Brian is here. That is a hell of a top four, if you ask me. Bring it. Fire it up. Yes. Rev that engine at featherweight. All right, to close on 235, the other fight of note that matters, and it mattered, 37-year-old. Diego Sanchez, the damn nightmare, sending Mickey Gall to hell, brother. Yes, afterwards, Gall tells you the, the hard reality truth on where we are in fighting and weight cutting. Passes out in the days leading up to the fight due to a hard weight cut. Gasses out early because of it. Also, to Gall's discredit, he was reckless early on. But in the end, a second round finish. Dude, this was old school Diego Sanchez sitting on your face and beating you to, to heck. And one half, we got to celebrate Sanchez and say another victory lap for him. On the other half, guys, Gall was once a very, very, very bright welterweight prospect, but was it fool's gold when you consider he's beaten 
cameraman Mike Jackson and CM Punk and even Sage Northcutt. I want Super Sage Northcutt. I think that boy's corny. No, no, Mickey, you're corny. Uh, yeah. The wheels are falling off on the idea that Mickey Gall is the next big thing, and that's fine. Diego gets another moment because of it. Yeah, that was the thing. It was just like before the fight, BC, you and I were like, how the hell is 37-year-old Diego Sanchez, who has been to hell and back in the amount of wars that he's fought, going to beat Mickey Gall? And to Mikey's credit, he called it. He said he had no chance in that fight, and we didn't listen to him. Mikey, take your victory lap. Go for it. I'm just happy that I could make some fans some money. You know, you guys <laughs> take those locks when I give them to you. We're going to win money. But wow. all honesty, you know, Mickey, Mickey Gall, he's still young. So there's, there's some upside. He needs to find his way in the octagon. Um, I felt like he came out. He was very streaky in that fight. And like he said, he gassed. He's young. He should not be, unless he's that big, he should not be having problems cutting to 170. You see that later on in people's career. So that kind of worries me that he's 27 years old. He's been fighting at welterweight, and all of a sudden this time yeah. it's a tough cut. So yeah, you never know what he, happens, but I don't think you can fight that's just something to be weary. It is. And the, the only problem with a guy this – like Diego Sanchez was washed like four or five fights ago. So anytime you get a big win that extends your career, it sort of extends you to get propped up to get sent to hell – I will say this. I never, like, when guys are in their 30s and they'll be like, oh, no, I'm still learning. I'm in the gym evolving. You're always like, yeah, yeah, right, dude. You're 37. Like, stop. But they really called it out in the broadcast effectively. Like, he's showing better jujitsu game in recent years than we've ever seen. He was always the warrior wrestler puncher. But I'm not saying he can do this against better competition. I'm saying this was one more victory lap and it felt good to watch. But Diego Sanchez, you got to give him credit. When they did that UFC 25 uh, documentary series, and one of them was on the first season of Tough, 2005, Diego's the only guy that's still active. It's insane. And he's he's like, yeah, he's hanging on, but it's a good-ass win. So it was fun. Fun to see it happen. Just don't go too deep in the pool, man. Yeah. Just for your own damn Please, sake. fight old wash names, smaller wash names, call out BJ Penn something, right? Like, let's do something like that before we do Thank something you. like anything else. Thank you. Got to roll on here, guys. Big time sound coming at you. One championship to their U.S. media tour. We got two sets of talks coming at you. The first one, Demetrius Johnson, Eddie Alvarez, Sage Northcutt. The big names, the crossovers from UFC making the leap to one. They're going to talk about the reasons why, what they love about one so far, what they hate about UFC and are happy to be done with. We're also going to have chats with vice presidents of one and UFC veterans and former champions Misha Tate and Rich Franklin hitting you up with the business side of how one is going to compete in this U.S. MMA landscape coming right at you. Enjoy. All right, fellas. Great to talk to you. I'm sure you're excited about everything. What's going going on? How's everything? Everything here is great. Talking to the one team right here. All right, all right, Demetrius. Let me start with you, man. This when you and Eddie specifically made the move over, it was giant shocking news. What was the key part of it for you? The key element that made you make such a drastic career change at this point? Um, obviously, you know, I believe I have like five years left in my career. So I wanted to go to do what all the best athletes, in my opinion, have done. I mean, even Eddie Alvarez, he started his career in Japan. He came to North America and now he's going back to, you know, probably finish his career over in one championship. So for me, uh, that was a big part of it. Um, I never competed abroad, um, as an athlete. I've always stayed in North America. So when I had the opportunity to go 
to Asia and one championship, I wanted to make it happen. And obviously, you know, one championship is now involved in one esport. Uh, so that's a, a huge passion of mine as well. So everything that they had going on over there uh, fit the criteria I was looking for right next to home. Eddie, did you have any concerns when you're going to make a decision this large? I uh, always, I always do. Um, I and I, I don't make anything like like uh, too too fast. Um, I took my time, uh, studied. You know, I've already been watching one before 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 um, talking to them about an agreement, and um, so I was already interested. I'm already interested in fighting in Asia, and I already I already done that. I made the travel there. I've had a lot of experience there, and without that. Um, the decision wouldn't have been as easy as it was. But uh, after going there, uh, meeting meeting the owners, seeing their vision, um, sharing a lot, a lot of uh, like having a lot of commonalities in who I want to be and and what I want to do, it just made complete sense. It was it was it was organic. It made, it made sense to do. I mean, Eddie, you won a title, and I don't know every organization that ever has been created. What is one more going to feel like if you can get that far? I don't know. I don't. I I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> um, it just um, it's just, it's a fun thing. Uh, you have you have a, a small goal, a small dream. You see it manifest. You don't get complacent. And you do it all over again. So it's been a, um, it's been a journey of mine. I have fun with this. Um, that's the biggest thing for me. I'm I'm enjoying myself. I'm visiting new countries, meeting new people, and fist fighting. Some it's, it's a it's a childhood dream, and I'm and I'm living it. So couldn't be happier. Not bad, not bad at all. Sage, I wanted to ask you, man, when you look at the potential opponents you could be facing, what is it about the one roster that got you excited? You know, I think I think it's going to be a blast, not only for the mixed martial arts, but you also have kickboxing and Muay Thai that I plan on competing in. So I think I get to showcase uh, each different style of martial arts, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. That's what's really exciting. Now, to the three, uh, no one's here to badmouth former employers, but is there something about the the change for you that, that has been the most comforting or exhilarating or refreshing from how you were treated by former promoters? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the UFC is more based around drama, as you see, and like a, a lot of the stuff is like controversy and drama. Well, with one championship, uh, they're based on like respect and values and, uh, and, and uh, kind of build up their, their fighters as superheroes. So I think it's, I think it's really neat, and I'm looking forward to being one of those one of those athletes and, and going out there and, and uh, getting to go against the best people in in Singapore, best people in all the different different countries throughout Asia. So, and, and eventually in the future, coming to America too. Now, for you other guys, is there any party that that wants to do a how you like me now? That wants to say, look at the success I'm going to have over here. One more time, sorry. You know, is there any part of you that wants to show potentially UFC? Look what I can do with my brand outside of those walls. One hundred percent. Not not just towards that company itself, but just for the other athletes to let them know that you can also be successful outside of you know the UFC. And you look at Roy McDonald, uh, Lyoto Machida, um, even myself right now, and even Eddie at any stage. I mean, I would still say that we are pretty successful, and we haven't stepped foot in the octagon almost in five months. Absolutely. Now, Eddie, when you, you, the three, you can almost, you know, you're almost like business partners in a way because you're, you're, you're three of the biggest faces of where this company is going. So collectively, what do you hope to bring as an identity to one in how it can compete with the other American MMA uh, promotions in that space? Uh, integrity. I think, uh, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not just saying that, um, 
I talk to MMA fans, my friends, my family, and people. I'm around fighters all the time. And it's no secret that people are given title shots. WWF wrestlers are given uh, a lot of button line. And um, guys with large media and social network followings are able to skip the line in front of true fighters who've earned their shot and have earned their take. And um, that, that's a problem here in America. And, and it's a problem that fighters deal with, that fans are unhappy with, and that promoters exploit. Um, one will smash that. And um, you, cannot, you cannot get in the way of that when you do a Grand Prix. Um, the best man wins, the best man goes on. That's how every sport on earth works. Um, the best play the best. They go to a playoff. Whoever gets in the playoffs goes to the Super Bowl, and then they win the Super Bowl. Nobody gets to go to the Super Bowl because they have a large following or are popular. They have to win. So um, the Grand Prix cuts out all the fat and then puts the integrity back in the sport. What about for you, Demetrius? Uh, what was the question again? What type of you know image are you hoping that that one can put can put out there for uh, American MMA fans to compete in that space with the other promotions? Uh, I think that it's something totally different. I mean, right now you know we're only focusing on the mixed martial arts part, but one championship also offers all forms of art uh, of martial arts. So it's called the home of martial arts with kickboxing, Muay Thai, boxing, submission wrestling, kickboxing, and you know mixed martial arts. And then Muay Thai is a little bit different. It's not in you know. Uh, I believe eight or twelve ounce gloves. It's actually MMA gloves. So with that being said, that's going to be a huge thing. And like Eddie said, keeping integrity and discipline and honor and respect between the athletes is a huge thing as well. And all the content that they give away is it, it's free. You know, they're not trying to you know make you pay up and watch this watch this pay per view. I mean the the competition on March thirty first in Tokyo, Japan has four title fights on it. You know, two. Uh, a multiple flyweight Grand Prix fights, also Eddie's uh, lightweight Grand Prix. So it's going to be totally different just in the aspect of how they're presenting the package. You know, and this had been a promotion that, from a U.S. fan perspective, maybe we knew Ben Askren formerly there, didn't know a lot more. Now you got a handful of names we know and love. I mean, come on, guys, Sexy Yama is back. I'm fired up for that. How much further can this go, though? How, mu- how much space is there to bring in even more big names? Oh, well, I mean, the marketplace is always open. I mean, at the end of the day, it all depends on, you know, one championship is not just going to grab everybody and their mama uh, to come join the roster. You know, I think the reason why, you know, Stace Northcutt's over here is because he fits the brand. Eddie Alvarez, he fits the brand. I fit the brand. So one championship is being very selected on who they pick to come over there and represent the brand because they don't want to just pick anybody out there who's going to come out and put uh, a bad image on their brand. So, at the end of the day, they'll keep their eyes open for a very top-notch talent. They have, you know, Rich Franklin's one Warrior Series going on, too, where they're finding talent around the world. So, you know, the sky's the limit. Oh, absolutely. Now, Sage, we've seen some up, some down for you in the UFC, but we always saw such dramatic potential. How excited are you on, on you know, as you mature into your role as a fighter, showing the best of you yet to see in your career? You know, I'm super excited. I, I think, like I was saying earlier, you get, I get to compete in different styles of martial arts. So uh, Muay Thai, kickboxing, the mixed martial arts. And then I, I think I really get to showcase my, my, my set of, school, uh, set of uh, tools. And I think really the past three fights I've had in the UFC or that I did have, that was all three of the fights I've won in a row that I was training at Uriah Faber's gym. And that's, that's like the first date was about a year ago when I had three fights back. 
was when I first started training actual MMA and having an actual gym and a, a training camp. So I think there's there's unlimited potential, and I think I'll be able to be able to accomplish a lot with one and and um, with how they treat their fighters. Yeah, I love that. Now, Demetrius, you're leaving a flyweight division in UFC that that may not be there anymore. We don't know. It seems like it's day to day. What is your opinion on on what that future of the flyweight division will look like at the UFC, and, and do you care? I don't. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I bust that a long time ago. Obviously, it's up to them whatever they decide to do, but it is what it is. All right. Now, what kind of competition are you looking at heading into this tournament on the flyweight side in one? I mean, uh, what kind of guys out there can push you and test you? I mean, it's not about the guys that are pushing and testing me. It's about me testing and pushing myself in the in the competition. So I've always looked at my competition that way. I mean, uh, one championship offers uh, some of the best athletes in the world, especially in the private division. So we're going to go out there and see how we do. Eddie, when you fight, you bang, man. You bring the excitement. But all action has its consequences. We're going to see a more relaxed, composed Eddie Alvarez in this stage of your career. Are you bringing the fireworks because that's who you are, brother? No, no. There's no relax. You can't escape yourself inside that uh, inside that uh, cage. You can't run from yourself. So um, even when I decide, I go in consciously and say that, I'm going to fight with a game plan and I'm going to do this. Um, the minute I get in that cage and the feelings come about, you can't run, you can't hide from yourself, man. And, uh, they'll get to see the vintage Eddie Alvarez in a high paced violent fight as always. What's the, 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 the attitude of the Asian fan when these big UFC names come over to one and, and, and now become the face of this company? What has the reception been like for you guys? Oh, it was incredible. We went over there. We did our we did our open workouts. Um, look, the Asian fans, um, they it's it's a lot different from America American. Um, every athlete is appreciative for the carriage of making the walk into the cage, um, and the carriage of fighting, and which that's how it should be because the very rare, rare um character who can do that, who has the carriage to do that. So every athlete's appreciate it. It's not about the it's not about the um, the outcome of the fights more than the carriage of the fighters to do what they're doing. And uh, I never felt more appreciated and, and more gratitude from fans and from uh, a group of people who are coming to watch than I do when, when I fought in Asia. How about for you, Sage? What was that question one more time? About the reception of the fans in Asia and how that's been different from fighting in the U.S. Well, you know... Uh, I think the the whole entire atmosphere is different. Like when I got to watch one of the one championship events when I was in Singapore, uh, the fans the fans are sometimes they're kind of, kind of quiet, and then all of a sudden something happens like there's a reversal or someone gets on top and they're they're cheering and ecstatic, and you can hear the announcers they're going crazy. And then when someone wins a fight, like if it's a championship fight, um, they win the championship title, they're shooting up gold confetti around the whole entire stadium. So that's like the coolest thing. Uh, I I think I think the the fans are. I think the fans love Americans just like like us Americans love everybody over in the Asian culture and, and overseas. So I think it's going to be really cool to interact with new fans and I'm looking forward to meeting everybody. Good stuff there. Now, Demetrius, you're coming off of a defeat, but, man, you've already uh, done the layman's work in one of the greatest careers in MMA history. You're at that table with the, I don't know, four, five, six best of all time 
Maybe to some you're, you're, you're number one. So what's left to accomplish in your career? What's your motivation at this point? Because it's not like you're that old, man. You're still right in the, in the midst of your prime. I'm just focused on having a good time. Uh, get a comfortable over that one championship and enjoy myself. Um, you know, I've, I've accomplished a lot so far in my career and I think there's a lot more I can, but you know, just focus on being happy and enjoying myself. All right, you guys all going to stay at the weight classes we've seen yet? You got any any kind of big time goals to add multiple titles to your collection? I'm just focused on one right now. Maybe Sage, Sage probably for all of them. Eddie, I know what he's got for United. Yeah, I'll be I'll be uh I'll be welterweight, so that's 170. Uh, the max cutoff is 185. Um, I am only 22, so I'm not sure how much more I'm growing and how much thicker I heard you mature, like muscle wise, when you're 24, 25. So. I could go up another weight class, but but right now I'm I'm definitely welterweight and but definitely competing in uh kickboxing Muay Thai. I plan on that too. Eddie, you taking any advice? You got great abs, Eddie. No one's talking bad about your abs, but Sage has got these alien, otherworldly abs. You getting any tips or advice there, or did that was that just awkward? No, Sage is a monster inspiration. To every fighter to be more disciplined, to <laughs> to watch what you eat, <laughs> and and to work out daily. So um, you know. Uh, it's um, it's inspiring to see someone like him. You know, not only that, just to do what he does. So, um, I do my best. I um, I'm running my own race here. I try to keep my blinders on and compete with, compete with my old self. That's what I'm doing. Great stuff. All right, guys, to close, whoever wants to tackle this, how will you know in a year from now that this move to one for you and for the promotion was a success? It already, it already is. <laughs> All right. No more details. Cash them checks. Everybody's happy. I can hear it. Okay, Rich, Misha, really appreciate the time. Very excited for, for your new adventures here. How's everything going? Going going all right, Brian. Thanks for uh, having us today, man. Going well. Thank you. Absolutely. L- love to see you guys, uh, you know, giving back, having big roles in the sport after your fighting career is over. Rich, I'm fired up about this one warrior series. This like a amazing race mixed mixed with uh, tough. What's going on here? I'm, tell us about this show. I'll I tell you what, man. I tell people this all the time. I, I have I have the coolest job in the world. I really do. I basically I, I travel around all over Asia. Uh, we just expanded the Warrior Series into uh, Australia, New Zealand, and I'm looking for talent. I'm looking for talent in big cities, small places, under rocks. It doesn't matter. I leave no stone unturned. And uh, we're just looking for the, the next superstar, essentially. So what I'll do is I'll go into – I'll travel into a city. I will identify some talent. I'll take that talent, and I'll, we'll go do something fun. It could be anything from hiking out to the middle of the jungle and finding some sort of uh, temple or monastery – to uh, bungee jumping off of a crane or, or doing something like whitewater rafting and everything in between. And uh, so you get to know the backstories of the athletes that I'm recruiting. And once I recruit all these athletes, I, I carry my own roster. They all basically compete against each other for a uh, contract with one championship. That is that is pretty darn cool. Uh do you, would you have a hand in coming up with this idea? This is sort of taking some really good elements we've seen in, in previous shows and, and making something that seems pretty next level here. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. My my, um, my boss, uh, the chairman of the company, Chatri, he, he came up with the framework of the idea, and then it's just my job to continually refine it, refine it, refine it, and make it better. So 
although it wasn't uh, my idea to begin with, it, it's definitely something I've taken ownership of and, and made my own. And we're, we're, we're now beginning to film our fourth season. The third season has already begun airing on uh, YouTube and you can just see the quality of the show getting better. Uh, the quality of talent that we're finding getting better. Some of these guys, not just guys, but some of the men and women that we've recruited, we we've recruited some really well talented athletes that, uh, that are already making splashes in one championship. I've, I think to date we've promoted about eight of our athletes from one Warrior Series up to one championship, uh, one of which has been Sam Fairtex. If you followed her a bit, she, she came from my organization. I found her in Bangkok, and uh, she's now world champ for one, one championship. Yeah, she's a world champion for one championship, both in our, our Muay Thai and kickboxing categories. That's really cool stuff. Now, Misha, I got to ask about you adding your name to one and in, in, in the great work you're doing there. When these big name fighters started getting signed, we're like, ooh, ooh. Then we hear Misha Tate's name. It, it definitely raises the respect level. What was your interest in joining this operation? Well, you know, to be honest, I had this conversation with Chautry, and it was in the works before um, any of the other names were actually announced. So, it kind of all was just great timing, but I had developed a relationship with Chatri over the past few years. Um, when I was still working under the UFC banner, I was still competing. I had made a trip over to Singapore and, uh, he opened up his doors at Evolve. Um, they were, you know, arms wide open and, and really helped me out there and gave me a place to train and were really, really kind to me. And, um, among the, among the conversations that I had had with Chatri, um, it always kind of stuck in the back of my mind that that was a potential opportunity. And after I had my daughter, I really felt like there was something bigger and better that I needed to do uh, with with the time that I had and that I wasn't competing anymore. And I immediately thought of one championship and I asked my partner, Johnny, if you know he would be interested in moving over there and <laughs> being a part of the company. And, and uh, here we are, you know, I, I hit up Chatri and it was, a, it was really a no brainer. He told me immediately, oh, Misha, I never thought you would ask. He's like, we, of course, we would love to have you. And it's really a dream come true. You know, sometimes the stars align and things just work out the way that they're supposed to. And this is definitely one of those cases for me. I'm, I'm a, I'm a passion first kind of person and I always listen to my heart and this is where it's guided me. Now, certainly the uh, on the American side, the MMA landscape from the TV broadcasting side is very crowded, but it's also very profitable and very exciting. What do you guys think one adds to this mix, which, you know, one's already been an established company, but to now really start to have an imprint in the U.S., how is this promotion different? Uh, this this are obviously our first foray here in, into the U.S., and there are some the, the, a lot of the hardcore fans know who we are, but this will be our introduction into a bit more of the mainstream uh, mixed martial arts market and I, there are a couple things that one championship offers to to uh, the mixed martial arts community here the mixed martial arts fan base here in the u.s uh, first of all if you if you've ever seen one of our events it's a highly entertaining event the way the event is structured it's it's as if um a rock concert meets a sporting event essentially and i think that element of it is going to grab people's attention but secondly if you watch our athletes compete to be honest with you, it's, it's some of the most exciting matches that you've ever seen. Uh, our cards typically have uh, a 70 plus percent finishing rate and uh, the matches that typically do go to the decision, you'll see, you'll see two athletes just completely pushing the pace. Uh, case in point, I'm really looking forward to uh, Viviana Fernandez and um, Kevin Blingon in the, in the next, the Tokyo card coming up because uh, these two guys, I mean, from start to finish that it's going to go bell to bell the entire time. 
and if, and if that fight doesn't finish it and it goes a 25 minute decision, it'll be 25 minutes of just nonstop action. Uh, and then I think that the final thing that, that makes a big difference with one championship over other organizations here is that we're not just a mixed martial arts organization. We have world champions. We have 110 world champions in various martial arts from, you know, not just mixed martial arts, but things like kickboxing and, and Muay Thai as well. And if you've seen any of our one super series matches, uh, you know, we, we house Muay Thai matches and kickboxing matches, both in uh, the large style gloves and the, the smaller uh, MMA style gloves as well. And it just, it makes for an exciting variety in the show. And I think that this is something that's really going to appeal to the U.S. market. That's really cool. Misha, from your point of view, you said you were on board before some of these new names flashed, splashed the pot, but, you know, mixing your name with Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson, Sage Northcutt, that gets people attention. How important is bringing over those guys, you know, right in the midst of their prime or pretty close to it to, to making an imprint here? Well, I think it shows to the growth of one championship. The, the fact that they're recruiting some of our our top talent here in Northern America, um, it's really making a wave and it's making a splash here inside the U.S. You see it's, it's grabbing the attention of the U.S. market and it just speaks to the growth and the future, I think, of the sport that really one championship is, is seeking the absolute best globally, not just within Asia, but everywhere in the world. Excellent. What is the future for women in one championship? It's limitless. That's what it is. Uh, you know, the opportunity for women there is, is just as great as it is for men. And um, there's, you know, as uh, you spoke to Sam Fairtex, you know, yeah. she's just, she's really quite a queen bee over there. She's a dual champion in kickboxing and, uh, and uh, Muay Thai as well. And then we have Angela Lee, who's, just a star in Singapore. I mean, she can't go anywhere without anybody stopping her and wanting her autograph. And she's an excellent role model too. And I think that's what's really important as well with one championship is the message that we're passing along to, to the up and coming youth, um, especially, you know, in economically deprived areas throughout Asia, you see that these children have uh, great role models to look up to good people who are the best athletes. And I think it also speaks volumes that the 110 world champions that are on our roster it's truly about being the best the best version of yourself when it comes to being a one championship athlete now rich to get demetrius johnson there there was a a, a funky little trade i use funky a, a, as a pun there for ben askren's name involved but we've never really seen anything like that before it was exciting for fans it opened up the idea of what could be possible now i'm not saying that's necessarily your job to make those decisions but from your point of view being an ex-fighter how rare was that to see that sort of askren for johnson swap that ended up being very big for one well you you asked how rare it is and i think we're actually using the wrong word there. This is this is the first uh, trade between two major organizations of its kind with with an athlete, uh, and I, I believe that this is I, I believe it's like the dawning of a new era. Essentially, you're going to see see these kinds of things uh, happen more and more often in the future. <sighs> It's weird because MMA is such a young sport. UFC is only 25 years old. Would you guys both say we're sort of in the dark ages in terms of fighters' rights and how they're presented and that we'll look back on, you know, last 10, 20 years and be like, wow, those were, you know, those were some crazy days. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it varies from, uh, from organization to organization. Misha brought up a good point with uh, Angela Lee before and role models and stuff like that. You asked the question about what is the, basically what is the ceiling for women in MMA essentially was the point of your question. And 
I don't know if you remember or not, but when Chatri had signed the new deal with Angela Lee when she became champion, he had signed her to the the highest. She, she was the highest paid athlete in, uh, in in the entire organization, and he was basically making a statement that we're not going to pay our athletes. Like athletes won't suffer and pay based on their gender or something like that. Um, that, that this sport basically transcends any of those kinds of barriers. At least that's the way that it is for us. That's really cool. I like that a lot. Now to make a splash, okay, you guys already made a splash to make an imprint and to be there consistently. A lot of big things have to happen. I know there's a lot of big time tournaments coming up. You got a lot of big names. What's next for one? I mean, this is happening so fast. How quickly can can this promotion, you know, become the 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 one A, one B, wherever wherever it's going to end up in in at least in American MMA? Oh Lord, I'll tell you what. You're asking me a question I honestly don't have the answer to. I've been with this company for five years, and uh, when I when I first started working for One Championship, there were about about 15 people in the office. Um, it was it was a small company at the time, and we put on world class promotion but still a small company. Everybody in the office wore many hats. Like everybody did every job. And we've grown from that to offices in, in, in Singapore, Bangkok, Tokyo, Shanghai, Yangon, not to mention the, a number of other uh, employees that we house. And this is just to deal with the fact of many things, like our broadcast has gone from in the last three years, basically gone from 700,000 views to over 2 million views. And Having that kind of uh, imprint on the market, it requires uh, requires a lot of action and a lot of work. And so w- when you talk about where the sport is headed and all that kind of stuff, I, I have no clue. We have this huge card coming up in Tokyo. It's a great example. We have four title fights on this card. And with with that many titles uh, up for grabs, I sit and scratch my head. And, and I'm kind of, it's one of those kind of like, what is the organization going to think of next? Like, what are we going to do next? And uh, – the, the fans are just going to have to wait and see. <laughs> Misha, in closing, from from your point of view, how will you know even a year from now that that this company's made major strides? Well, I think you just you're watching the trajectory of it now, and and we have goals set. So when when we sign a, a multi year deal with TNT, um, you know we're going to have twelve one hour segments a, a year that are going to re air. You know that we're we're dipping into the American market and, and allowing the the audience to have easy access to some of the, the best martial arts in the world. So we're really trying to, to sort of transcend the sport. And, um, you know, I think eventually, hopefully there's some talks about um, eventually coming stateside. So we would like to work on that, you know, that's what we're going to, that's what we're, we're pushing forward. But right now it's one step at a time. Um, we're signing some of the best talent. You see Sage, Demetrius Johnson, Eddie Alvarez, um, and I'm, I'm proud to, to put my name with one championship as well. So we're, we're just making, uh, evolutions everywhere and, and all around the globe. I think Misha makes a good point about, uh, we're just getting the tip of the iceberg here with the, the TNT deal. And, uh, at some point in time, you know, possibly doing a show here in, in the U.S. When we, uh, I'll just tell you from my own personal standpoint, when we announced the, the, the TNT deal, 
I immediately started thinking of the show that I do and wondering how long it's going to take us to actually air that thing in the U.S. And so for me, I'm, I'm personally excited to see what happens with my project, not just one championship. Love it. Great stuff, guys. This is a what a time to be alive, right? You know, it's taking off right now. You guys are in a really fun spot. I wish you all the luck. I can't wait for, for an eventual first one card in the U.S. Definitely can't wait to cover that. Thanks so much, guys. Really wish you the best. No, thank you. We thank appreciate you so your time. <sighs> All right, guys, we're going to be talking about one a lot in the future when they eventually launch, you know, a U.S. card, when we finally see these names, which is coming close, when we see Demetrius make his debut, Eddie Alvarez make his debut. But there were some things to take from that talk. I mean, Eddie Alvarez was very outspoken. He, the number one thing he loves about one is there's integrity. As he says, no WWF stars are going to jump the line and get a title shot. These Grand Prix tournaments will give you the best fight and the best, just like in every other sport. Sage even, Sage, talking about that UFC's a drama organization, and this is more about, you know, respect. Bushido, Bushido, brother. That's great, guys. But is anybody going to watch this? Yes, they have the deal with Turner, Bleacher Report app, whatever. Can this organization crack the market? I hope so, just to breed more competition, because you can't, like, you can't continue to evolve unless you have competition. And with ESPN now buying up PFL rights, You've got um, Bellator with the Zone and Paramount. You need somebody to help break the market open, and maybe because again, isn't all of it going to be tape delayed on Bleacher Report Live? Yes, it's like a monthly show, once a month. It's not like it sounds good, but it's not that great in reality. So I hope so, but I I'm very skeptical. Maybe if they get Risen involved, but <laughs> I, yeah, I have my doubts. Yeah. Um. I want to give it a chance. I hope it's good. I hope it, you know, like what you hear from them is watch the cards. You'll be shocked and surprised at the action and, and all this stuff. But have you watched it all? Rich Franklin talking a lot about that one warrior series reality show. Sounds like a cool thing. Three seasons in. I've never seen it. He's hoping it can end up on Turner. Have you guys seen this at all? It's like amazing race meets uh tough. No, I uh, can't say it. I have seen it, but some of these guys that they're signing, that's, you know, starting to intrigue me. They're yeah. grabbing some of these. Well, the big one names. this past week was Vitor Belfort, who they unveiled on their Vegas stop on the media tour, which was smart. They did it during UFC weekend. Does that pop you? Because they got they got Sexayama, they got Ushin Ushinokami, they got some things going on. They at least got guys I want to see. Can Vitor Belfort have life with the uh, 2013 Mohawk TRT style again? That's my question. What what is one championship's drug testing policy? If Are we smart, seeing they have TRT Vitor? <laughs> If they're or, smart, they have none. You know that, Michael. Because that, that's what I'm looking for. I want Vitor juiced to the gills walking down that, walking down to the cage. I'm a white you, boy and I'm jacked. Deal with it. Deal with it. I'm, I'm jacked. I'm juiced. Deal with it. Um, I, this is good for Vitor, I think. I mean, he's been wanting the old guy league for a while. I mean, really, we know Bellator is the South Florida cocoon shell on the bottom of the pool where you can find new life. Can old guys find new life at one? Maybe if they can get Sakuraba out of the pool. Sakuraba. Wow. Wow. All right. Let's get out of that, guys. Uh, what else we got in the news cycle here quickly? Let's run through it. I saw there was a uh, Dana came out and said, suddenly, Cowboy Connor, quote, nowhere close. We saw... Uh, Donald Cerrone putting it on Instagram. He put a Bud Light, what, like a Bud Light can next to a proper 12 whiskey bottle trying to make that happen. Dana says, not happening. 
He says he's trying to get Cowboy into a fight against Long Island realtor Al Iaquinta. What the hell is going on here? Did Connor outprice himself? What are you guys feeling? What's happening? Oh, man. They got to have something for Connor. They they have to have something in their heads that they're doing for Connor because in that to me if this is not the fight it's got to be Tony right which would be yeah. massive it would be massive but is that smart for Connor's not for Connor no no but it, yeah it's interesting you I feel like they pulled like a pretty good fight like that fight definitely intrigued me it's I a thought get it was well a lot. for Connor Cerrone's a get yeah. well I mean we've established that but. If you go into Tony, you're really running that risk of too many losses in a row for Connor to hurt his brand. Yeah. I feel like maybe Connor wants that fight more just because he thinks it pays better or it keeps him in the title picture. All right. Well, let's say what this. He still wants. What did Dana say during his media stops this week? He said this guy, Connor, all he talks about, the only fight he wants is Habib. And we know that from past history, right? Connor had to fight Nate in the rematch, had to do it at 170, had to do it right away, didn't want anybody else, anything else, had to run it back. And I'll give Connor that credit. Whether you love him, hate him, think he's a fraud, think of anything. He, he's competitive. He wants to run that crap back. So what if Dana says to him, Connor, the only way you can run that back is if you beat Tony first. And what if Connor's not thinking money right now? Cause he's cashing them whiskey checks. What if he's thinking, I'm a competitor, I'm a fighter. Yeah, I can beat this guy. Let's run that back. That's a spectacular pay-per-view main event. And you don't even need to put out an interim, 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 triple interim belt. You just say, winner gets next. Oh, wait, isn't Holloway fighting Poirier for the – yeah, forget that. Forget that, guys. We're taking that interim belt away. Like, you, it doesn't even matter anymore. You give the fans, Connor, Tony, the winner's getting Habib. He's getting him, guys. I'm here for it. That's yeah. it's the, It's the right call. If that's the plan in place, I'm here for it. Just don't give us another curveball where Conor McGregor ends up fighting, I don't know, a bloated Andy Silva at 185. Oh, God. How dare you? I mean, you know, how how dare you? Andy Silva button. I, I think I have got it. I love it. I love it, man. I want it. I love it. I want it. Dana say no. Oh, come on, Anderson. I say, come on, Dana. Come on. Dana say, no, 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 no. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. And Dana say, no, 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 no. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? You Why know? not, Dana? Make up the fight with Connor. Uh, else in the new, elsewhere in the news cycle, PVZ broke her arm. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. And what else you guys got? Anything? Greg Hardy got booked for the UFC Fort Lauderdale card again. We'll talk about that more when it gets closer. The only other big, really big stuff that we need to still talk about is Mirko Krokop and his career yes. being over. Suffers a stroke in the aftermath of that defeat of Roy Nelson. It was Mirko's, uh, Welt, or Belt, Bellator debut. It was a rematch. That's tough to see. It, I, I like that he, uh, seems to realize, yeah, it's over now because the doctors say, hey, you can't do anything for three months or you could suffer another one and, and potentially die. So he's going to wait three months, get tested again, take a lot of meds. And he says, hopefully after that, he can continue training, not for a comeback. He knows he's done, which is good to see. Just to keep himself in shape, obviously, but, uh, 44 years old, man, he had one hell of a career. One that ended a little sketchy. Let's not forget the last UFC fight gets the, uh, in the aftermath gets the two year ban from USADA and fails to honor that two year ban. He's like, nah, guys, I'm going to Risen. I'm just going to keep fighting in Japan where they don't test. So then he wins 10 fights in a row, but, uh, look, all time great kickboxer, MMA, uh, fighter. I mean, was there a bigger fight ever? This is pre, you know, UFC dominant pay-per-view days. But was there a more important fight ever than Fedor, Krokop, Pride, 2005 heavyweight championship, right? Come on. I don't, 
I don't think so. Yeah, it stinks. Brandon was talking about running that one back after after Fedor lost, and that would have been awesome. But uh, you know, happy happy he's coming out of his fighting career relatively safe, and ending it on a ten fight win streak is awesome. You never see that. Yeah, yeah it's just kind of scary when they tell you as a as like a patient that if you take another significant blow to the head, you might die. Yeah. Like that's where I kind of be like, oh my god, like. Please keep you in a bubble for the rest of your life. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah I would not be training, like, even if it's just relaxed training, like you were saying. I don't know. I wonder if Chuck Liddell's doctor is now saying that to him after that team <laughs> come back. I mean, seriously, Chuck, let's just stop it. Just stop it. You guys want to go back and be a fucking bartender, a short order cook, a fucking scientist? If that's what you really want to be, then go for it. More of these fighters should be going back to that, okay? When you get to that age, stop taking punishment. All right, what else you got? Anything else in the news you got? Anything else? Give me something I can get excited about. I think you can get excited about the main event this weekend of UFC Wichita. All right, that's an interesting location. Like JDS, <laughs> former champion, we love you, bro. We want you back in another main event. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Where where is it? Wichita. <laughs> They've been you, stuffing him out to some like remote locations lately, right? Yeah, what was it? it was he fought uh, in Adelaide, Australia in December. Last July, he fought in Boise. <laughs> Two fights before that in Zagreb, Croatia against your boy Ben Rothwell. All right. All right. Well, he's back. Ben Rothwell's back, by the way. Interesting card Saturday night, UFC fight night, Wichita. Is that an ESPN uh, plus card jam? It's a plus. It's, it's on plus the damn jam. plus. Derek Lewis, JDS, heavyweights, main event. Yeah, fired up, guys. Fired up. But what's it going to look like? Because JDS has sort of figured out how to be in his 30s and a bit washed, and he's not washed, though. Like, he's still got it, right? He's not who he was, but he's figured out, lean on my boxing, be a little bit smarter. We know Derek Lewis can be reckless. This could be a nice setup win for Junior Dos Santos to get right back to the title picture. I know it's crowded at the top at the moment. Where's Stipe? Where's DC? Where's Brock? Is John coming? But this could be a big win for JDS. You like it? You like his chances here? What's the line? Mikey, the betting expert, what are we looking at here? Give I, me one sec to pull I, that up. I, I want to say, though, by the way, that this is going to be interesting just from the standpoint I don't see any wrestling in this. I think this is going to be a pure boxing, maybe a little kickboxing added in where it's just going to be two big dudes who want to hit each other really hard. Oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. how do you not love that? I love that crap. I love when big dudes do that. I mean, I got one question for you about this fight. What round was the finance? Yes, yes. Um, here's the thing. Is Derek Lewis going to come back hungry? Because he's already, he's a, he's a mercenary. He always said the title doesn't mean anything to me. I just want money. I just want paydays. But he got to that title level on a short turnaround against DC and he really tried to get in shape and be everything he could be and, and he got dominated. Is he going to come back flat? Is he just going to take the paycheck and come in fat and just whatever? What are we going to see? He thinks that he's going to do a little bit better. He doesn't think JDS is that tough, which I thought was an interesting way to describe somebody who only loses to, like, really elite guys. Um, yeah, I I don't know if that's him just covering up that he doesn't want to be in this fight. I don't know. I, I have a lot of question marks about Derek Lewis coming into this. I want to see what kind of heart he's still got because losing a, that way, like you said, losing the way he did against DC – is a little bit sketchy just from the like it was a quick turnaround fight after a quick win and to go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows it's tough and the way you bounce back tells a lot about your character in the ring so 
I want to see how that looks. I think that JDS, like you said before, is not far away from a title shot, even though he got, I thought it was interesting when the UFC rankings came out for as much as we take stock in those. They put him at number eight after Kane comes back and loses in 30 seconds. They put Kane at number seven above JDS at number eight. Oh, I thought Lord. that was weird. Yeah, that is weird. That is, I don't, they don't even understand their own rankings. They don't care <laughs> about them. So let's just, you know. Move. Dos Santos opened as a minus 145 favorite and is now up to minus 250. That's interesting. That's interesting so. that he would open so low. I mean, look, look, Derek Lewis is dangerous. Let's not forget that. But this is going to be a five round main event. Lewis doesn't go deep into fights effectively. There's a lot to like, I think, about JDS winning this fight, using his boxing from distance, not going to be taken down, not going to worry about getting submitted. It's going to be a fun little slugging match. I'm very interested in it. I, I got JDS stopping him. I think he's going to stop that ass, all right? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think, if anything, I'd love to see JDS drag him to the deep end of the pool into, like, the fourth or fifth round and then just finishing him there when you know Derek's got no gas tank left. Yeah, I mean, Derek Show is, that JDS still has it in yeah. the deep rounds. I like that. Derek is always ready to be choked out at any point when he just has nothing <laughs> left in there. Um, So interesting slop on this undercard. Little random pieces of slop. Ben Rothwell is back after that USADA suspension. Remember that run he was on? He was on his run of being a quasi-title contender until JDS just boxed circles around him from distance. Then Ben popped. He's coming back against Blogboy Ivanov. Blogovich. Blogoy. Yeah. Wow. They got a lot <laughs> of these get type. It. You didn't get it right once. They got a lot of these Blogboy type heavyweights that you're just like, oh, God. But uh it's been a long time since we've heard this weirdo. Right now, there is not a man in this planet that can stop me inside this octagon. And only politics can slow me. I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> The only thing weirder than that was that time he did that weird dance and celebration around the cage. After but look, the overream. I was gonna say that was in the that was in your backyard. That was down in uh Connecticut. Yep, he's thirty seven now from Wisconsin. I mean that that run that he had stopped Brian Vera, stopped Overeem, submitted Mitrione, submitted Josh Barnett. That was a fun ass little run. Can he be anything? You expecting anything here? No. <sighs> uh, I I wanna say that Blago Ivanov is going to give him somewhat of a challenge, but I just don't think he's got the wrestling to, to match up with somebody like Ben Rothwell. So I'd le- I think this is just going to be a weird fight anyway. Yes. <laughs> but I want to see what it looks like. I want to see if Ivanov can keep him on his feet and tra- stand and trade with him because for as much as we, we poo-pooed him, he did survive some decent blows from JDS and did not go out. So – He's got power and he's got a chin. It's just a matter of if he can stay stay upright with the wrestling. All right. I'm, I'm done with that. You care about any of these other fights? I mean, we got Tim Bosch is still around. So you're you going to tell me Omari Akhmedov is the next big Russian uh, export? No, <laughs> don't, don't do that to me. I mean, Benil Darius versus Drew Dober? Okay, I'll watch it. Uh, that's actually the one I'm most interested in. We haven't seen Drew Dober in a minute. Yeah. And Benil Darius has been trying to make a little comeback here. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that fight. Tim Means, Nico Price is, is some fun stuff there. If Tim, if Tim Means still has a chin left. Um, yeah, that's really it though. There's well, not a whole event, lot. I don't know a lot about this dude. Can you pronounce this? Eliazu Zaleski Dos Santos, six fight win streak in the UFC, gonna face Curtis Melender. He's from Brazil. I don't know much about him though. 32 years old. Uh, I don't think I've seen any of these fights to be honest with you. He's a, yeah, he's been a very under the radar fighter. Curtis Melander is gonna give him a tough challenge. 
but I think that's kind of like one of those let's see what you get kind of fights in the co-main event, give you a little bit of shine. Um, in the prelims, actually, I forgot about this. Our girl Yana Kunitskaya yes. is back Former against Marion Renau. Yeah, Marlon Renau, that, that's going to be something. Will you be tuned into that in Can- Saturday night in Kansas? I don't know. Tony Martin, though. Tony Martin's fighting. That's I not, like him. Who's he the boyfriend of? Kayla Harris. Oh, yeah, okay. That's right. I was – uh I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking uh, Mackenzie Dern, but uh, she's got other business going on. All right, that'll do it for the State of Combat this week. Once again, special thanks to my guests from one championship, Demetrius Johnson, Eddie Alvarez, Sage Northcutt, and MMA legends, Rich Franklin and Misha Tate. A lot of good stuff coming up from one in the future. We'll check it out. Be sure to check out UFC Wichita this weekend. Thanks so much to my co-host, Brandon Wise, Mikey Mormile. This is your boy, VC, giving you two words on the way out. Yes, we out.